You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. <laughs> Oops. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. All right, let's get back to some boring subjects. Understand the risk to our country. Freedom brings people together. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. Hey, welcome to the program. It's so nice to see you again, to be back here live. Uh, last week we tried to set up... Uh, I bailed on one because I thought I had something in the bag and then it fell through. It's, it's always funny. We, I had two, two things, two episodes fall through. Uh, that's why I don't typically... Interview. So, all right. Well, it's great to see you, and we're back here. We're going to explain what is the Electoral College. Several of you have written in wondering, how does all this stuff work? I'm reading about all these Electoral Colleges and state deadlines and certifications, and I don't know what it means. So that's what we're going to do first here on We Are Libertarians. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Warning, this show is for adults, produced by semi-adults. So the language is sometimes strong and offensive. Uh, I don't know what I said, uh... Welcome to We Are Libertarians, where our goal is to help you sound smarter while talking to your friends. We examine current events from a libertarian perspective while treating modern politics with all of the irreverence it deserves. There has been lie after lie. We toss out the screaming heads, put people before political parties, and give context to the news to make you think. Now, here's our host, a 15-year veteran of politics and media, Chris Spangle. Hello, it's great to be back. Good to see you too, Christy Avery. So nice to uh, have you with us. With me, per usual, as the kids say, is uh, Harry Price. How are you, Harry? Going good, going good. It's been a fun week. Um, it's, uh, I, I didn't think um, YouTube would change me that much, but apparently it has this week. Well, after we tap in Reinhold, we'll ask you what, what the hell you're talking about. Reinhold, how are you? I'm doing okay. All right, good. What, what YouTube changed you? 
Have you found the intellectual yeah. dark web or what? No, it's better, uh, better. Uh, so, you know, like the algorithms get, get those suggested videos on the mm-hmm. side of YouTube, right? Yeah, click those. But one time, this 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 one really got me. It was uh, you're cooking your turkey wrong from the food theorist, and uh, I think I'm going to spatchcotch my turkey this year. I don't think you should admit that on a live broadcast. I can't edit this. Are there laws against that? Oh, yeah. What are you? What are you from West Virginia? What do you? What do you mean spatchcocking? What are you talking about? So what I'm going to do is cut the spine out of my turkey, so I can lay the turkey flat and cook it that way. This way to cook evenly and thoroughly, so it's not this big, gigantic, hunking, thick bird. So basically, you're making lunch meat. That's what it sounds like. Oh no! Where do you put this? The stuffing. The stuffing is supposed to go inside the bird. If you lay it flat, there's oh, no, nowhere that's to, a trichinosis nightmare. What you you sound like you trust scientists? I would never do that. <laughs> put this stuffing in the bird, that's you get sick. Yeah. It's all fake news. Yeah, no, that's no, fine. That's fine. I'll just do stovetop on the stove. This way, I can get it flat and put it in my smoker and it fit. And I keep all my trays in there. I have to be honest. Like I have, um, I've been depressed the last two weeks. Because, you know, I had the ability to kind of keep myself occupied and the, the election and work and lots of things going on. And there's always that post-election uh, d- depression that I kind of go through. It's it's mm-hmm. like the political junkies version of postpartum, uh, only not as serious. And it's just like I, I, I've, I've been really struggling because I've spent most of the year distracting myself from – the realities of the pandemic with other things like i just mm-hmm. like we haven't talked a lot about it just because it depresses me so much like the, the two almost 250,000 people dead the ways that it's changed lives the jobs that have been lost through the lockdowns and just the pandemic in general like it just like it's so depressing that i i don't want to think about it and when i think about the holidays like it gets even worse like i'm not going to see my nieces like i i just uh, are you guys having a normal Thanksgiving, or 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 has twenty twenty and the pandemic stolen that from you too? So on my end, uh, we usually have a family Thanksgiving at my parents' house, but my dad is very susceptible to um, flu-like or COVID-related illnesses that would probably kill him. So we've canceled this year for the actual dinner. So. Mm. Mm. But mm. I mean, just you know, it's another day. I just sit around the house doing nothing. So yeah, I like mm. yeah. It's going to be a long winter of that. What about you, Harry? Um, let's see. Yeah, it's going to be about the same. I'm going <laughs> to got people coming over. Uh, more just close to immediate family. We're all just going to come over. We're going to eat dinner. Yeah, going. But I've got face shields and a mask. Um, I ordered a pack of uh, disposable mask and the clear, and I got everyone a clear face shield. Yeah, there was this, um, and if you are doing it, and we here uh, do not condone lockdowns, we do not condone government actions, but we do believe that the pandemic is real, obviously, there's, uh, go ahead, Harry, what do you? No, I'm just saying, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's the evidence, it it, it ain't March anymore, so let's all just be honest with what's going on here, and there is this, uh, it's this on El Pais, I'll add this to the show notes, but if you are having a Thanksgiving, just think about how you ventilate and uh, how you kind of keep apart because this this chart kind of shows, um, you know, so social gathering in a living room at 12 uh, and after four hours, all the people in the room are infected 
Mm-hmm. And then if uh, masks were worn, then one person isn't getting it. And if you ventilate, then there's a half a person is going to get it. The other people are kind of safe, you know, and that's been consistent across the board in, in classrooms, at colleges and other places that they've found. So, you know, if you are like Harry and you are doing your, your family stuff, just consider some of that stuff because it's the Swiss cheese model uh, that, that I saw. Um, let me see if I can find this uh, infographic really quick. Uh, the Swiss cheese model COVID. Excuse me. I didn't plan on talking about this. Um, essentially, you know, one of these things, you know, masks are not perfect. It's not the end-all, be-all. You've got to stay away from people, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Swiss cheese model, physical distancing. Uh, whoops, sorry. Why is this not uh, showing up correctly? There we go. How about now? Oh, my goodness. This is just... What is happening? Um, the Swiss cheese model is basically, you know, you have... Uh, can I do it? Can I pull this off? There we go. Okay. Physical distancing, face masks, hand hygiene, ventilation, contact tracing, disinfectant, health screening and testing. You know, if you're going... Get a get a COVID test if you have family members that are going to be uh, you know, like. Just be smart about it. Like all this stuff eventually kind of adds up to being helpful. There's no one way to to really fight this thing. It doesn't seem. Um, and listen, admitting that the virus is real and and following some of this stuff does not make you less of a libertarian. And I, I don't. I you know we'll talk more about this at some other point. But it it just it's the same people who didn't think it was real in March don't think Trump lost. Don't think that. Racism is real, and I just can't. That it just makes it all harder, I guess. Um, I don't know about you. What, what are you holding your hold hand on, up here? Hold on, hold on. Some of the people who didn't believe it in March or February also also is on the Biden train. Don't forget that. No, 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 no. There was a lot of people that were kept saying this virus wasn't real in February, and it wasn't just all Trump supporters. Sure. I, I mean, I was one of them. Uh, if you are indirectly calling me out, Harry, you bastard. Nope. Um, nope, nope, not indirectly calling you out. I, I've just, I've even calling, I'm calling, if I'm calling someone out, I'm calling that person out. You know exactly who you are. All you people who I've talked to in real life that said I was crazy and nuts in February. <laughs> but who's sitting on all this toilet paper still? Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe we're doing the toilet paper thing again. Like, I, I'll, I'll, I thought it was stupid in March and in April, and I'll kind of give everybody a pass because none of us have lived through a global pandemic before, and you don't know, like, you saw people in China and Italy being locked in their homes, so you didn't know if you'd be able to go to the grocery store, like, you know, so it wasn't totally unreasonable or irrational, but, like, now that we all know that we'll, we know what's going to happen if there are lockdowns, like, you're not going to not have toilet paper, the stores aren't going to not have toilet paper unless you go and buy all of it. Why are we doing why are we doing the toilet paper thing again? Because of this happened. It's been 7 months since that occurred. Everybody has ran out of their ah, stock. Ah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I I had to re up about a month ago. Uh I get I get a 6 month supply always. Um uh, I got my 6 month supply like 2 weeks before the before COVID got serious and then I was like, "Oh, this bulk shopping has never paid off, but my secret <laughs> Uh, prepping tendencies finally uh, paid off. Um, so, don't you have a second house full of toilet paper and food? I know I, I don't have a second house full of toilet paper and food. Oh. Um, 
but I know now where I'm coming when all the crap hits the fan. Uh, two important things have happened uh, that, that I need to share with the audience because, uh, you know, many of you may not know, many of you are new, according to the, to the analytics, seeing all the new people. Uh, my nickname has jokingly been Dear Leader because back at around episode 30 or 40, uh, Chris Galt and Creighton Harrington and I started this podcast in March of 2012, and they got into a fist fight on one of the episodes, which you can hear uh, in the full show feed if you are a Patreon member, and uh, it was over conspiracy theories. Creighton didn't want to talk about conspiracy theories. Back then, back then, if you were new to politics, in 2012, if you talked about fluoride in the water and 9-11 trutherism and peddled in conspiracy theories, you were, you were no longer allowed in society. Uh, if you shared in InfoWars, Facebook had, had its own mechanism for policing pu- public opinion. It was other people being reasonable. And if you posted an InfoWars thing and you didn't know what InfoWars was, or if you shared it and you didn't know what it was, all of your Facebook friends would jump on you and call you uh, names. And that's how fake news was, that's how fake news stopped being spread. And then Facebook decided to help because of government pressure. And now everybody's a conspiracy theorist. If only everyone had listened to me, this would never have happened. But uh, we told you, once you start cracking down on things, resentment builds and people start, uh, once you start censoring political speech or prohibit prohibiting anything or using force to uh, manufacture outcomes, like you need to wear a mask or else, all of a sudden you get backlash, you get resentment, and you get people doing the opposite of the thing that the, the central planning was designed to do. And so, you know, back then, it was a free market solution to what we now have, uh, see as a centralized problem of trying to uh, deal with political speech. Um, but, so we, we had debates all the time about what is a conspiracy theory? Is it appropriate to talk about? Um, and I tend to think that conspiracy theories through history exist they are real it's just very hard in the modern age with the internet to pull off now uh and the term conspiracy theorist is also often used as a pejorative to demean and diminish the credibility of a person but you know there are obviously um theories around the news that are not true that uh, of conspiracies that take place some of them may be pushed by the president of the united states and his hair leaking uh, attorney but we'll talk about that later. Um, but anyway, so Galt pushed it, and they got into a fist fight, and he he swung first. And then he turned around and looked at me and said, it's me or Creighton. And I said, then it's you. Goodbye. And I had to fire him, and I just said, listen, I'm the dictator. This is the dictatorship. And for, forever, We Are Libertarians has been a dictatorship. It is me, Chris Spangle, leading this show, telling Harry, Reinhold, and all 40 other co-hosts exactly how it's going to be around here. And uh, our our long gone yet dearly not forgotten uh, co-host Greg called me dear leader and started making memes of my face on Kim Jong-un. And uh, the nickname was born, and we for a long time on the show talked about it as, as this inside joke of mandatory freedom. And this was a, uh, a libertarian dictatorship. And then all of a sudden it didn't get funny about the last year. Uh, so we haven't really, uh, invested in that joke because, well, uh, and so, uh, so you may not know that my title is actually dear leader. I am the, uh, the king of libertarianism. 
I was also regarded uh, by an Indianapolis City County Councilor who didn't know what my title was at the LPIN and called me the President of All Libertarians once. But I have added two new titles, President of All Libertarians, Dear Leader, and now I am a Doctor of Political Science. That's right. The Academy of Political Science has sent me this fancy certificate. All I had to do was pay forty nine ninety nine for a subscription to their magazine, and I am a doctor of political science. Y'all can't tell me shit now. And then the, the second title that I have received in this beautiful frame is Lord Christopher Spangle of the Principality of Sealand. Now, I have no idea who sent this. I think that it was a birthday present from our funny friend Joshua Sexton who sent this recently which is an oil painting of me in, uh, in uh, Nicholas Tsar or, or Napoleon Bonaparte's present. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see this, uh, this great birthday gift that I have hung up in my girlfriend's bedroom. Uh, and I am now Lord, Dr. Lord, dear leader, and I would like to be referred to as this. So please, Dr. Lord Christopher Spangle. Thank you. Um, You can't tell me shit now. Esquire added to the end of that. Uh, Well, I consider myself a part-time attorney uh, in the... uh, We're all internet attorneys, right? That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So thank you so much to Joshua Sexton for... uh, If he is the one that sent that. It's very funny. I laughed when I opened it. Um, And it's great to, you know, to be considered both a doctor... A lord, not the lord, but a lord of, of libertarian. Yes, thank you. All hail Dr. Lord, dear leader, Chris Spangle, Esquire. Um, <laughs> I want to I float a change out there that is probably going to happen. I've got the artwork and I've got the, uh, the new intro cut. But I, I don't want anybody to be surprised. But we have been talking, literally for four years I've been talking about doing this, and I think it's just time to do it. Um, because we have a healthy network of shows. We have Gingerarchy. We have Freedom Strips. We have the Brian Nichols Show, who's out there killing it with big guest after big guest. We've got Rimzo with On the Run. Um, we've got uh, a couple of my other shows with uh, Liberty Explained on the basics of libertarianism. Uh, now hear this. Go to wearelibertarians.com if you want to see the full network. And there's there's... A couple things creeping in, and mainly it's brand confusion. Uh, first, it's kind of difficult to have a, a, your main show and your network be named the same thing. Now, that's on me because I did that. Um, but as we have basically developed a network, a strong network, we've always had shows, but like we have a really solid network right now with writers and podcasts and all that. Um, and that breeds some confusion uh, between this show and that network and can sometimes put people in an awkward position. You know, Brian and Rimzo are, are more conservative than uh, some of the other contributors on the network and then or, or, or Kami Reinhold over here um, and vice versa. And secondly, we don't we, we talk about current events here. So people download we are libertarians the podcast expecting to get libertarian philosophy and what they hear on most other shows and they get current events analysis and they go well what the hell's this you know we see it in the comments every week um 
So there's a bit of brand confusion, and, I, and I've thought about changing the name of the show forever. Harry can confirm that. We've just been discussing it for a long time uh, for for this very reason, but it didn't make sense to kind of deleverage from that brand that we've been building. And I'm scared to do it because we get a lot of people, Harry, that find this show because they searched libertarian and we're the first choice, and SEO matters. Yep, that's uh, how I found the show on YouTube. I need libertarian content. Yeah, uh, and so, so I'm I'm considering changing it to the Chris Spangle Show. I have cleared this with both of these two co-hosts. They are both fine with that. Uh, at least they tell me now is your chance to speak up or forever hold your peace. I have been successfully paid clear. off. What'd you yeah, say, Ryan? As soon as the checks clear, we'll be good. Okay, all right. <laughs> We've been paid off. Nobody's nice to me. It's terrible. I'm a doctor. <laughs> God damn it! This is how you treat your lord. Um, so I, uh, so I'm thinking about doing that and, and there's another reason too is, and and as we talked to patrons about this over the last week, a lot of them said, a lot of people are saying that when they go to share an episode, like what is the electoral college with their friends who are not libertarian, who are, who are of a, of a different political persuasion, they, they get back, well, why would I want to listen to this indoctrination from this libertarian show? Uh, and so if it comes from the Chris Spangle show, which is sort of innocuous, it's a little bit easier to kind of slip in there, which is the whole goal of this show. Like if you're new here, basically what we're doing is talking about the news, giving you the details of the news, explaining the context and along the way sneaking in libertarianism. So you start to see how the system that we have doesn't work and we need to consider something differently. Um, and so if our goal is to reach new people is the name a barrier? And I have heard from several people that, yes, it is kind of a barrier. So I want to open that up to the group. I'd love for you to email me at editor at wearelibertarians.com and let me know if you think this is stupid or if this is a good idea because, uh, you know, I, 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 I think it's important to have buy-in from your audience before you make any kind of big change. And obviously walking away from the name of a show that you've invested nine years in is, is, is kind of a big change. Um, and I don't want anybody to be surprised, but there, these are the reasons that we're doing that. Uh, and I, I just think it's a little bit easier for it to be mainstream and for you to share it with your friends, which is the whole goal. If, uh, it's not, we are libertarians. Now it will be titled in the podcast directories, the Chris Spangle show dash. We are libertarians network to keep that SEO. So we don't lose that. So, um, I like this name, the sexy Chris Spangle show. Um, so, uh, so that is, that is sort of where we are at. And, um, we, uh, I'd love to hear from you on that. I want to thank our patrons. We are on fire with the new Patreon. I apologize for the last episode. I'm not good at the new podcast host that automatically schedules in ads and, and, uh, this new system that we've got that automatically plays ads and promos. Hilariously, the first ad that started running was Goldman Sachs. <laughs> now, I don't pick the ads. It's it's like it's like Google ads, it's like YouTube ads. I don't I don't have any control over the ads, but like somebody goes, "Hey, why is this show sponsored by Goldman Sachs?" which if you know anything about the libertarian world, that's hilarious. Uh and especially how this show is perceived. So, um but we can we're, we're adding a lot of new people to the Patreon and I really appreciate that support. It is uh, really important that you support independent media like ours and I want to thank Laura Stanley who wrote this great note as to why she is a patron. She writes, 
As we know, media outlets have become super incentivized to deliver a certain type of content. Unfortunately, along with social media's influence, this has become a structure where the media is constantly delivering outlandish, biased, and inflaming and one-sided content. The We Are Libertarians Network, however, breaks this mold. The We Are Libertarians ideology, including the philosophy that the individual ought to be informed and equipped to think for herself, consistently shows integrity by standing by the values they support. Choosing against such inflaming, manipulative, biased approaches simply for financial gain. I'm happy to put my money towards supporting a better incentive structure where free thinking is truly encouraged, integrity is upheld, individual decisions are valued, and personal attacks are minimized. I personally am unable to eradicate those totally. I'm so grateful for the work of all of the network. I appreciate the professionalism, thoughtfulness, the professionalism as my cat walks by the screen. Thoughtfulness, research, integrity, and consistency of ideology from what is said on the show to what is delivered in the Libertarian Aurora, our daily email newsletter, to how the show is produced, to what you'll find on social media. These guys are the real deal, and I'm excited to see where We Are Libertarians is headed in the future. You have my full support. So thank you, Laura, for uh, being a member of what I am now calling Wall Plus, We Are Libertarians Plus. It's sort of wonky to just say join our Patreon, and everybody has a Patreon, so I figured why not brand it a little bit and call it We Are Libertarians Plus, because you do get extras. If you join We Are Libertarians Plus, you get bonus shows. I'm about to uh, start recording my Dan Carlin-like show, Ideological Origins. I'm going to do it on the Magna Carta. I've read about five books on the Magna Carta over the last couple months and uh, have about 4,000 words down ready to record that particular show Uh, doing a ton of research for it we have build the wall where we tell you how we spend your patreon money and there's also merch you can get that and you get a free lifetime subscription to my personal private email newsletter which you can sign up for at chrisspangle.com and i want to thank our new 100 subscribers um john pusillo if I'm pronouncing your name incorrectly, I promise I am sorry. Uh, John Pusillo is brand new, uh, an unknown, unnamed person who wanted to remain anonymous. Casey Feldposh, Brad Tracy, uh, seventh is, uh, uh, and then Matthew Durbin, Jeff Bennett, Reinhold, Christy Avery, Jason Doolittle, and Ed Brehob. Um, seventh has just joined up too. I did not know that. So we added another one, a brand new one, since uh, I logged in yesterday. So this is great. Seventh, yeah, seventh is uh, from the Discord. Excellent. A lot over there. Well, I am uh, excited to have them join us, and yeah, we're over two thousand dollars a month for the first time ever, and we really appreciate everybody not only getting all those extras on Wall Plus, but also supporting what we do. Um. All right. Uh, JBH, the national chairman, is cackling about Goldman Sachs. Yeah, it's it's like the first thing people hear uh, is, this show is brought to you by Goldman Sachs. (laughs) I I died. Uh, Yeah, so... Uh, and that's that's uh, Zach writes. It's got to sound sleek and modern and less like asking for money. Wall Plus works. Thanks, Zach. And that's the point: is you get a lot of extra when you join Wall Plus, and it's not just me begging hat in hand for income. Even though, hey, I work forty hours a week on this thing, you know, and, and uh, I spend most of it on the the tools that we use. So I don't get paid for my time. I do this out of a 
uh, uh, out of love for this audience and for the work itself. And so does everybody else on the network. And if you get value out of what we do and all that effort that we put into it, give some value back. Join Wall Plus. You get some extras and you get uh, the complete backlog of all the past shows. So enough filibustering. I appreciate it. We have not done uh, class announcements and many, many, many shows, and uh, so I apologize for taking so long to get to it. But sometimes this stuff is necessary. Let's talk about the Electoral College. We're going to give you exactly what the Electoral College is, why it exists, how it has been changed over the course of the republic, and uh, then what is the process to putting a president in place, and then we'll do a little analysis and apply it to the current events. Sound good, fellas? Okay. Sure to the plan. All right, so what is the Electoral College? It is a method for indirectly electing the President of the United States, and it was established by Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2 of the Constitution, that whole thing, and modified by the 12th and 23rd Amendments. It consists of a total of 538 members, one for each senator and representative, and three additional electors representing D.C., now, each state has a number of electors, uh, electoral votes equal to the combined total of its congressional delegation, and each state legislature is free to determine the method it will use to select its own electors. So it goes based on Congress, but each state has its own different determination as to how those electors are selected. Currently, uh, and I should add that I have served two times as an elector. The way that the Libertarian Party in Indiana, that it, it's done at convention, 20, 30, 40 people put their name up, and the top, what is it, what do we have, uh, 11, 9 electors get chosen. I was chosen to serve as an elector for Gary Johnson should he win the presidency, should he win the state of Indiana, I should say. And if he had been elected, then I would have been selected by the state legislature to go to the Electoral College to cast my vote for Gary Johnson had he won the two times that he ran. Um, so the, these are often chosen by the party, um, be it in their conventions or on their primaries. So a lot of the people who serve as electors are party hardcore loyalists. Uh, so uh, like Hillary Clinton is an elector in New York, right? She's obviously a hardcore Democrat loyalist as long as you're her, her type of Democrat. So currently all states select electors through a popular vote, although how that vote works can differ, but that was not always the case. In many states, the state legislature selected electors, a practice which was common until the mid-1800s. Um, and these show notes will all be available on the on the episode description and at wearelibertarians.com. And thank you to our lead researcher, Sam Schultz, for putting these together. Now, the Electoral College meets every four years, a few weeks after Election Day. And each elector represents one electoral vote. And a candidate needs to gain a majority of the votes, 270 or more, to win the presidency. And most states award all of their Electoral College votes to whoever wins the popular vote in the state. There are two states, Maine and Nebraska, that divide up the, their electoral votes according to the proportion of the votes each candidate receives. receives. Uh, now, five presidents have been elected. That's why with Maine and Nebraska in, in your charts, you always see those uh, two wonky you can choose by congressional district. Five presidents have been elected without winning the popular vote. John Quincy Adams, Rutherford B. Hayes, Benjamin Harrison, George W. Bush, and Donald Trump. 
Now, December 8th is known as a safe harbor deadline for appointing the 538 members of the Electoral College. So we have about two weeks until that takes place as of the recording on November 21st of this show. The electors do not meet until six days later, but each state must appoint them by the safe harbor date to guarantee that Congress will accept their candidates, their credentials, I should say. The controlling statute says that if any controversy or contest remains after that, then Congress will decide which electors, if any, may cast the state's ballot for president. Um, so th- there's some uh, – so essentially if, let's say – in Michigan, Donald Trump's plan had worked, and there were two separate delegations of electors in Michigan that the state had appointed. Then that set of electors goes to to Congress, and they first meet to certify these electors in a joint session. And if there is not consensus on which delegates get seated in that consensus, then it breaks into each different part, and the, the House picks and the Senate picks. If they're on different teams, let's say the House Democrat-led team picks Joe Biden's electors and the Mitch McConnell-led Republican Senate chooses Donald Trump's electors, nobody knows what happens then. (laughs) If there is not agreement, nobody really knows. It gets thrown into chaos. There isn't any kind of uh, action, and Nancy Pelosi becomes the president, um, either for four years or until people can figure out what the hell's going on. Uh, so obviously you want some clarity, but th- we, we've never really run into this position where everybody's worrying about electors. So, which is why we're doing this show. Um, mm-hmm. now we've become accustomed to choosing electors by popular vote, but nothing in the constitution says it has to be that way. Article two provides that each state shall appoint electors in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct. Since the late 19th century, every state has ceded the decision to its voters Even so, the Supreme Court affirmed in Bush v. Gore said that a state can take back the power to appoint electors. How many and when a state might do so has not been tested for well over a century. Now let's go back to the 1887 Electoral Count Act. Some experts worry that this 133-year-old relic of the U.S. Code could endanger the whole republic itself. Uh, Quote by Edward Isaac Davare of The Atlantic. He says... The law itself is a relic of the last time the partisan divide got so intense that it nearly ripped apart the country. But no one ever clarified the buts of if that are ambiguous, and no one ever came back to revise it or update it. The law is a morass of ambiguity, which is the exact opposite of what is required in this situation. It originated after uh, the 1876 presidential election between Rutherford B. Hayes and Samuel Tilden, which decided the fate of Reconstruction in the American South. Now, the law requires electors to be chosen for the Electoral College no more than 41 days after the election. Now, this year, that date is December 14th. But because of so many unique circumstances surrounding this election, we could go beyond this date without clear results in each state. By the simplest reading of the act, whoever is ahead on December 14th gets the electors. So December 14th is a day to mark on your calendar if you're still paying attention to all of these things, which I am guessing that uh, you all are if you have chosen to download this show and made it through the first 20 minutes. Uh, Now, one key factor that could distinguish this year's situation from 2000, the litigation that went to the Supreme Court was over a recount in 2000, not the count itself. 
And legislatures whose terms are expiring and who will soon be out of power are disincentivized to help delay initial counts in the beginning of next year. After the elections of 2000 and 2004, there were attempts to challenge electors once they were reported to Congress using a process that requires one member of the House and one member of the Senate. So we are not in unique territory. In 2001, Gore presided over this process as the sitting vice president overruling objections from Democratic House members defending his candidacy, having told senators he didn't want to join them, Uh, didn't want them to join in, I should say. In 2004, then Vice President Dick Cheney was in the same presiding role as the president of the Senate when the electoral votes came in. That year, a Democratic senator and a Democratic House member each challenged the results from Ohio. Their challenge was debated in a special session and then defeated. Now, outside of mentions of this safe harbor provision in the Supreme Court's Bush v. Gore decision in 2000, the Electoral Count Act of 1887 has been seen as only relevant once in 1960. It was Hawaii's first presidential election, and after becoming a state the year before, Nixon was ahead in early counting despite decisively losing in the overall Electoral College vote. There was a recount, and JFK took the lead. Two competing set of electors were sent to Congress. Nixon, then the sitting vice president, presided over the decision. Because it wouldn't change who the ultimate winner was, Nixon went for being a gracious loser and said that he wasn't looking to set a precedent and accepted the Kennedy electors based on the results of the recount system. And as we have said, that 60 election was so hotly contested, partially because John Kennedy, and this is just not even disputed at this point, stole that election. In Chicago, through unions, and and in Texas as well uh, with LBJ. And so there has been a 60-year march by the Republican Party because Nixon so uh, aggressively put into the DNA of the Republican Party that voter fraud exists that the the ballot – the voting systems have never been more secure because of that effort by Republicans. So – They've kind of been hoisted by their own petard here. (laughs) They uh, are not getting away with uh, something that they fixed since that 1960 election. So uh, that is the closest in modern times in terms of these wild elections. Uh, Now, why was the Electoral College the chosen system? At the time of the constitu- uh, at the time of the constitutional convention, no other country in the world directly elected its chief executive. What you have to understand about the American system is that in the time that this was set up in the 1790s, this was a freak system. Mm-hmm. It was hereditary uh, patriarchal kingships, or it was tri- democratic tribal uh, systems. We will talk a lot in the ideological origins bonus show that you can get on wall plus about the development of from the tribal system to the rule of law in england through the magna carta to the constitutional system how that affected the american system and what you see in the american system is a complete complete uh, redirection of how leaders are chosen uh, given historical context. It wasn't a family like the Plantagenets or the Tudors that got to rule over the society. It was eventually everyone who was ruled by that system got a say in the system, even if that took 200 years, unfortunately. Um, but the, the, the die was cast and history started moving forward. Um, now, 
Further complicating things was a deep-rooted distrust of executive power after just fighting its way out under a tyrannical king and overreaching colonial governors. One group of delegates felt strongly that Congress shouldn't have anything to do with picking a president. Another group was strongly against letting the people elect the president by a straight popular vote. So when the Constitution was being drawn up, a national popular vote to elect a president would have been a tough would have been tough because of the size of the country and the difficulty of communication. And the founders also thought that 18th century voters lacked the resources to be fully informed about the candidates, especially in rural areas. They also feared a headstrong Democratic mob steering the country astray and a populist president appealing directly to the people who could command dangerous amounts of power. A compromise based on the idea of... (laughs) Well, uh, so here's the thing. Um, Removing the Electoral College would, would, would have a couple effects that people need to understand. And maybe these so. are good. Maybe th- these are good things. And you guys argue with me or not, right? Um, but if you, we, we now view politics in a parliamentary system, right? So w- it was never supposed to be that way. It be, in a system based on natural rights and individual individualism, I should say, not individual order. Um, you you are selecting the individual that is representing you to go and serve. And yes, factionalism was always present, and that is part of what the, the way that the system is designed is to set the factions against each other to create balance because there is no way for one side to completely win. It, and, and if it does, it doesn't last. And so by pitting the different factions against each other, by pitting the, the independent media against the mainstream media, by pitting Republicans against Democrats and Libertarians against the state – all these different warring factions create order because they're checking and checking and balancing each other out. And the whole system is basically built on that tension. And we we have kind of in the in the new media age perverted that system by voting in blocks instead of for individual candidates. And so you could have a president that got away with being different than a senator and a, and a congressman being different than the senator. And, and you had these, the, a more fluid set of, uh, and a lot of differing ideas. But right now, the way that Congress has basically just rolled over and allowed the president to control it, you have block voting. You have a parliamentary system. So people walk in and vote straight ticket D, vote straight ticket R, vote straight ticket L. And it's really a... It blows apart that system of balance. And so if you get rid of the Electoral College, you now get rid of the regional balance. And this People always hear about the, oh, well, South Dakota will then be ruled over by New York. And there is some truth to that because what would happen is that block mindset would break apart into a bunch of different voting blocks. You'd end up with probably five or six or seven parties. But because of the proportional strength of the eastern seaboard, and the West Coast, you'd probably end up with those two separate places ruling over most consistently. And then you create tension because the people in the middle of the country never get to rule, essentially, over or never really have a proper say in the selection. And so, therefore, you have minority rule as opposed to to majority rule. Um, So 
in your in your view, I don't, I don't know that that's necessarily good in the long term for for everything. I mean, the two party system is obviously flawed and needs to break apart. But I all often kind times go. All right, well, let's think through what what would it look like if we had five or six or seven parties, and you had one of those two part one of those seven parties just consistently won and eked out. Would that be a better system? I don't know. Um, and would they would they rule? Would is this Republican idea of Democrats will rule if you got rid of the electoral college no matter what, and everybody campaigned in New York? Is that even true? I don't have the answers to any of that. I'm just trying to think things through and throw that out there for people to consider. Um, but that is one reason why the Electoral College exists, is that regional balance to keep one faction from getting too much power. Right. Yeah. It's the idea of like wanting to get rid of that system or do anything that, but can we replace it with some sort of system that allows more minority say? You know, so the... <laughs> The, the the people in the flyover states there's not that many of them there because and they actually and they have different interests and different wants from their their government so they're going to have different they, they have different opinions and different and just even that and even as you go into more dense area it's it's i'm always like concerned when someone does want to remove like the the electoral college and it's like well but you want to replace with what could definitely not yeah, the whole popular vote thing scares the crap out of bees just as much as the electoral college does. Yeah. Reinhold. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot that went into the, the decision on the electoral college. Um, one thing I keep hearing is that we have a two party system and we really don't, we just choose to have one. Like that's how we've arranged ourselves to think. But a hundred years ago we were having four parties getting electoral votes yeah, the, and, and presidential election. And really, if you look at politics in the 70s, like if you study Watergate and kind of break through the, the noise of all that and drill down, you see the regional factions within each party. And there isn't that big top down ideology that Reagan kind of created in the Republican Party in and a fealty to the left and the Democrats. Like you have several different it's much more localized. It's not nationalized and homogenized like it is now. You know, so the two party like these party systems are really what you make of them. Like if you if you don't know how transient political parties are, look at the difference between Donald Trump and his Republican Party now versus 10 years ago when the Tea Party was taking place. Some outsiders may look at it, but as a person who was in the Tea Party and is a is a, you know, longtime part of the right. The Republican Party, if I had gone back to those Tea Party people and said to, to them in 2020, you will be voting for and proudly supporting somebody who is is currently a Democrat and pro-choice, and he will he will uh, he will uh, uh, get you to support all of these things like tariffs that you reject now. He will he will contest his every election that he wins and loses. He will he will break national all these norms, debt. the national debt. Mm-hmm. In four years, if I looked at my Tea Party <laughs> friends and said, "In 2020, you will you will like you will support and vote for somebody in 2020 that the previous four years added twice the national debt that Obama did in eight, and they'd call mm-hmm. me crazy. They'd go, "There's no way that I'd vote for a guy who cheated on his pregnant wife with a porn star. That's a Democrat. That's pro-choice. What are you talking like- about?" Allegedly. No, nah, not allegedly. Come on. Uh, and so, <laughs> like... 
and not just support him. That's the thing is this, it's not just supporting him. It's swear almost swearing fealty yeah. to him as an individual. Not yeah. And if you look at idea. Democrats, you can see mm-hmm. the tension between AOC and Joe Biden, right? The, the right. longtime Joe Biden crowd versus versus the 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 squad. So these parties are empty vessels. You can make them whatever they want. You just have to get the public to get behind it. Yeah, uh, that's the one thing that's going to be neat with the with a Biden presidency. If he gets it, we don't know yet. You know, that has been, you know, he's not officially presidential elect yet. You know, still have a pathway. Anyways, Fuck is off. watching the fracturing of the Democratic Party in real time. In, in on center stage instead of having in back rooms, which would have happened if if Biden would have lost. So this is going to be neat. <laughs> yeah. Well, well remember how voting was done back in the day. It, it used to be voice voting, where you go, you the you'd have election day and everybody would meet up. Mm-hmm. And I found out the reason why the election day is on a Tuesday. By the way, it was because of the it allowed farmers to get from their farm to do the election and they get back in time to make market day, which was like on Thursday. Oh, cool. So, so they would get together and they would just say, okay, who, you know, let's vote for this person. And everybody would say, yay or nay. And then they'd vote for the other person. Yay or nay. And it was all voice vote. They didn't even do ballots at the time. Right. So uh, then they started doing ballots and then there's alcohol that's being used. Um, there's a, a thing in the book by, about Madison where he refused to buy alcohol at the election for his supporters and he lost because they all went to the other side because he they were buying drinks for him. <laughs> he learned a valuable lesson, you know. So mm-hmm. this whole idea of of um kind of this idolized view of how American democracy has worked and the election processes has worked has never been really what everybody thought it was. Uh, let's. I'll ask this question to you too. I believe her name is Jenna. Uh, would more people run as independent if the electoral college was removed? Who wants to take that first? Hmm. I don't think so. My gut is no, because uh, of all the talk for voter fraud, as you've heard. I mean, if you didn't listen to our shows in August and September, you are not. If you listen to those shows, you're not surprised by what's going on now. Voter fraud is very minimal because they don't really need to change your votes (laughs) because ballot access laws and gerrymandering make it very difficult as well as fund fund, uh, 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 campaign finance laws make it very difficult for independents or third parties to break through. So I don't know that this piece is necessarily a structural problem because – if you, you go back to Reinhold's example of 1912, where there are four solid, any one of those four candidates could have won, and Wilson squeaked in in 1912. Um, so it is possible to be an independent. If, if Donald Trump um, wanted to start his own independent party and run as an independent, I think he absolutely could do it. You know, if, if Arnold Schwarzenegger wanted to start a third party, I think he could absolutely do it. Uh, and I think if you have the ability to break above some of these structural limitations um, as a presidential candidate, namely name ID, then you can succeed. Name ID is the most important thing in an election. It's, it's, the, it, it's you know, the, the, the ballot access laws that keep a, a third-party candidate from, from quote-unquote, winning. That, that, I, that idea of because 
of the way the district is drawn, this congressional candidate has no shot. So we're not going to give even the second major party candidate any press. And we're just going to do an interview with the guy that's going to win. That is far more damaging uh, to the system than the Electoral College, for instance. So um, it, it's it, it is campaign finance. It is election laws themselves. And it is gerrymandering that really kind of prevent third parties and independents from breaking through. But if you have the money and you have the name ID, a la Ross Perot or even Jack Anderson – uh, you can do it. You just, you know, Gary Johnson, the reason Gary Johnson got such a healthy percentage in 2016 is that he got a lot of name ID. He got a lot of name recognition. He did a lot of interviews. And you, that's why, and Joe, Joe Jorgensen did not. And that's why she fell back to 1% is because there wasn't enough name ID. It's why Rupert Bonham until Don Rainwater got the best percentage in Indiana gubernatorial history because Rupert was on Survivor when it was the most popular show in television, and people knew who Rupert the tie-dye guy was from Survivor. You know, Don Rainwater got 11 12% in this election because there was a yard sign everywhere, and everybody was talking about the libertarian candidate. So name ID is the most important thing in, in a campaign. Harry, go ahead. Also, Rainwater, like, had that. Nice new logo. Love that logo. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. But a lot of it is like when you run a run as an independent, uh, Kanye West ran into a lot of this this year, too, of trying to just get on the ballot. You yeah. know, yes, he was tardy to the presidential party, but he was just one just trying to get on the ballot. Yeah, he did on a couple of states, but it's it's very difficult. And that's the hole you started um, just trying to run as an independent. So it's so a lot of those people who want to run independents are. Not I want to basically forced to pick one of the other parties to join in, you know, and so you're either stuck either going to the Libertarian Party, Green Party, or unless you have the money or wherewithal or time to in the basically ground game to try to get on the ballot to get enough, like just get an, you know, to become a viable candidate for win for winning. Ethan has a couple good comments here. I sort of like that presidential elections were so inconsequential that men chose their candidates over free alcohol. Is it really any different now? Uh, and uh, he also says ballots could show candidate names only with no party affiliation and private parties could just endorse candidates. You know, just removing the, the party label on ballots would make people a lot more curious the next time they walked in to vote. Yeah, I mean, it, back when we were talking about the history of voting in the United States too, they used to just give out ballots that were either one color or another color. Yeah. It was the color of the party. You basically voted straight ticket back in the day without any choice in the matter. Well, there's a, here in Greenfield there, the rooster is the ballot device in Indiana. It's the statue of Liberty for the libertarians, the elephant for Republicans and roosters. Mm -hmm. And so there's a place out in, Greenfield that says this is where the ballot device was born because basically what would happen is you'd walk out to vote at this central location and people would hold up a rooster if you wanted to vote for the Democrat and I don't know what they held up for the Republican and so that became like you'd you'd cheer when you saw the rooster go up like that's voting 150 years ago. There's a different story behind the rooster thing that has to do with the South and some uh, very un- unkind voting laws, but um, I don't think the electrical call. I personally think the electrical. I can't even say it. <laughs> the elect electoral college 
is a brilliant, accidentally brilliant way of, of choosing the president. Um, I don't know if they intended it to be, you know, w- when it was first broached during the uh, convention, there's a lot of debate on how that came about. Um, but just the fact that you have representatives for each, for the people, plus representatives for the state, you know, all being used to decide who's going to be the president. I think that makes the most sense in a federalist type of society. Now we've gotten away from that federalist type of society. We've eliminated a lot of the needs for state lines these days. So why do we have just one big country? Why do we have all these different States? You know, um, I would like to see a return back to those being meaningful. And in doing so, you still need to have the States represented in some way. Um, not necessarily just the people in the States. And I think that, the the fact that we have having both being uh, added into determination of who's going to be doing that election, I think makes makes the most sense in that process. And I think that's what they were thinking about at the time when they first came up with it. But it was also, I mean, there was also back and forth on who, how we're going to give certain power to certain people. We don't want to have just Philadelphia and New York telling everybody else how things are going to be. Just like now we were worried about California and Chicago and New York doing the same thing. But um, I just think it made, it made more sense to do that. And there's too many examples throughout the history of the United States where third parties have come and, and taken over. There have been uh, other parties four, five parties that have all garnered electoral votes and changed the nature of the election because of it. So I don't see it as a two-party system other than the fact that we have decided that that's the way we want to vote these days. It's all up to the voters. The voters didn't want a two-party system. There wouldn't be one because they would go vote who they wanted to be. Yeah, But they, they fall into it because they have been indoctrinated or propagandized or convinced that this thing exists and it it really doesn't. It's all a, It's all in their own head. I think if any election shows the power of public opinion, it would be 2020. I think that what what people re, like people and and I'll we'll maybe talk about this later or some other time. But it's on my mind a lot about like, all right, what what is the stuff that I've said that I've pushed that has has contributed to an unhealthy system. Yes, there is liberal media bias. Like, there is no doubt about it. But, like, if we're going to get to a place where you never read the mainstream media, that's unhealthy. You know, the the populist streak that a lot of us have adopted fighting the elites, has that necessarily been healthy? I don't think so because as a person who's worked in politics my entire career, a person that's worked in media, I see firsthand how easy it is to really make changes if people want changes made just that people don't want to make changes they want to be mad <laughs> they want to be lied mm-hmm. to they want they do, they want you know it's on the people at a certain point which is why you really have to have as little power in the government as possible because people don't make rational choices they don't make good choices and that's very obvious we wouldn't have had half the shows this year if the government didn't have the power to rule over us in the way that it does and yes, we are in control of the government, but we take uh, we make a lot of really dumb choices. So making her first appearance on We Are Libertarians Ever Mittens is a frequent guest of We Are Libertarians, but the food bowl is empty and someone is needy. It is my cat Muffins, 
and I'm going to attempt to get her meow on tape because this cat has the craziest meow you can imagine. Let's see here. Your head's over here. This is good radio. I know. Can you hear it? (laughs) All right, we'll clean it up in post. Uh, (laughs) Anyways. Go ahead and drink it. Sorry to to derail. Go ahead. We were were doing so well, but I just... Things get so serious during a, an election season, and I just, it's not that I don't want to do this show, it's that I just cannot be too serious right now. I just, it's like, I'm it's, ready for vacation. Well, a couple of things with it is, one, uh, maybe we should just go back to, we should just do um, deciding our leader just by combat. We'll have a world martial arts tournament. Joe Rogan will ref, uh, we'll do the commentary on it. We just let it, people go, I got a nice fight tournament. It'd be great. You know, our, all our leaders would be cut. It'd be awesome. If that doesn't work out, um, <laughs> one if. thing I do wanted to mention is what's going to be really neat is all these Trump supporters, right? Because I, I doubt there are any of them really are listening to, to Wall, is that they will find themselves to become the establishment, especially these in the midterms. Because if they show up, they actually show up to like meetings and stuff like that and stuff like that, they are now the establishment. This is the same thing we talked about in 2016, 2017. It's like if you just show up, you instantly become the established, especially in some small rural areas. It's oh, yeah. easy to become the establishment. Don Rainwater so, won. I, I have to verify this, but I think Don Rainwater won St. Joseph County here in Indiana at, in a three way race out of 92 <laughs> counties. Rainwater won a county. You're not seeing that anywhere in the media. In, in, I think, like 30 different of those 90 counties and a third of the counties, Rainwater beat the Democrat in that race. As the libertarian, so, it, it, and I talked to a, a guy who worked in the White House. He he wrote an article uh, for the Indy Star about do libertarians want to be a major party? And a longtime Republican guy, great guy. His name's Pete Seed. If you want to look up the article and read it, and uh, he wrote he was going to write the same sort of article that like Brian Howie and everybody writes here. Do the libertarians want to win? Why are they not doing the serious things of a political party? And Pete did what most people don't do, which is reach, reach out to libertarians and ask, ask why. And, and I said, listen, when I was executive director for those four years, I was the fundraiser, the organizer, the communications guy, the, the general manager, the spreadsheet guy, the, the janitor. I was everything. I was a single employee full time doing the job of what Republican state parties have in 40 people. Uh, and we, we don't have the data advantage in Indiana. You have, uh, 10%, you get into the, the primary, basically it's a closed party primary that Mm -hmm. taxpayers fund the choosing of candidates for Republicans and Democrats in the state. Libertarians have a convention, but because the Republicans and Democrats use this, the, uh, the public taxpayers dime to operate their party, party business, they get all that data and we don't have that data. And so libertarians are using lists that have been exhausted uh, for fundraising and recruiting candidates. And they've built in an advantage that libertarians don't have. And so you've got tired lists, not enough employees, not enough volunteers, not enough for them to do, not enough money. And then everybody wants to go, why are they not serious? Hmm. People in the libertarian party work really, really hard to get what they have. Uh, it's that the system is set up to keep them from advancing in a way that needs to be to be advanced. 
And so that's on the state legislature. That's not on the Libertarian Party. And we have to look at our Republican and Democratic friends and go, why do you think that this is morally acceptable? Why are you cheating? Why are you being undemocratic? Oh, you who are wailing about the state of democracy at the current point. Uh, so, you know, libertarians and third parties are deadly serious about being in in, in all these elections. Um, but that, you're right. And, and so what I said to Pete is tell your Republican friends there's a huge opportunity because in the state law, all these state commissions – have to have two parties doesn't say it has to be two major parties so if you're a republican supermajority across the board and a republican governor start appointing libertarians to run to, to, to fill out all these commissions across the state mm-hmm. uh or start running libertarian candidates in these in these uh parties if you're a republican and you look at me all the time and you say that the libertarian party is your ideological center and that you really support what libertarians believe, why wouldn't you support libertarians versus Republicans in 50 of the counties in this state? Because that's the reality. The reality is the Libertarian Party is already the second party in most of these counties. And the base in Indiana, because of rainwater, has gone... So when I started in 07, the base was 2% in elections. By the time I left in 2012, it was 5%. Rainwater now has the Libertarian Party base 7 to 8% in every single election across the board. And the generational shift after under 40 uh, for Lucy, Lucy uh, Brenton in the Indiana Senate race in 2018 in the exit polling showed that everybody under 40, she won 10% of the voters under 40. She won 1% of the voters over 40. There were just more over 40 voters. Well, guess what? They're not going to be around for a generation. So if you have 10% of the state already pulling an L ballot. Mm -hmm. And then now you've created another few hundred thousand people willing to pull an L ballot. And you've now risen the base to seven to 8%. There's a tipping point of courage that will eventually make the libertarian party an aggressive competitive third party in the state of Indiana. Mm -hmm. And I have to think that that's replicated across the nation because people under 40 are overwhelmingly libertarian compared to, older generations and so it is a matter of inevitability that the libertarian philosophy will be a dominant force in american politics that far surpasses anything reagan saw we just have to get our crap together and maybe install some of reagan's 11th commandment that thou shall not talk bad about other libertarians (laughs) and maybe we might get somewhere um, because the demographics are shifting libertarian. There is no doubt that America wants what someone like Justin Amash is offering. They want libertarian economics. They want libertarian personal policies. They want to be left alone. They want the boot off their neck. They want it without the racism and the division and the nastiness. They don't want the Trump politics. For those of you who are under the impression that we ought to replicate the Trump style of politics – I have bad news for you. You just lost. And I know most of you may not think you did, but you lost. 47% of America said, I don't want that. The future of America is the Amash-Tulsi-Gabbard alliance. And that is going to be an incredibly powerful dominant force between center-left, center-right, libertarian-leaning, non-interventionist people. We just have to start owning that, representing that, and talking about that. 
and uh, empowering people to get to work, run for office, organize, and play nicely with each other in the process. Yep. And the the other thing too is that the it's it's not just the libertarian idea and the Justin Amash that they're they're looking for. It's also the fulfillment of the enlightenment, the fulfillment of what Thomas Jefferson was trying to talk about and, and implement that we've never been able to actually achieve, but we've kept trying to get there. I think that people still want to return to that. They still want that to be the guiding principles of this country. And it's just going to take time to, to, to realize those, you know, and I think the best path forward for that is the Libertarian Party, but um, it's just it's not going to be an overnight thing because the way you do overnight change in politics is with a uh, larger than life personality, but that never lasts. Look at what happened to Perot. Perot comes in, he could have won that election, and if he hadn't kind of freaked out in the middle of it and quit and came back, I think he would have won that. Uh, he created the Reform Party. Uh, it lasted for two election cycles. He was gone. It had no momentum because it really didn't stand for anything. When you're making a ideal ideological impact, it's a slow burn. It, it's not going to be something that can just take over overnight. Yeah, and that's I think what a lot of people are are, are kind of like well. Like they point to Ron Paul and say, hey, look, this. But then Ron Paul becomes the personality and it becomes about the man and not about the ideas. And that's another problem you get into. Build on the ideas. Those last, uh, no matter who's going to be representing it or in charge of it. Ethan says we need a small but powerful number of libertarian state legislators across the country. That's exactly right. Let's say Don Rainwater had won, which – Don Rainwater won this election. Uh, I'm just going to tell you straight up. Uh, Brian says, Don didn't win St. Joe County, but that was an auditor error. I disagree. Just because there was an error, it is proof of fraud, and Don won St. Joe County. Nay, he won this state. All of these illegal votes, it is, it is terrible. But All right, let's, let's say Rainwater wins Indiana. He wins a state, right? Or let's say Joe Jorgensen had won the presidency. Mm -hmm. I've maintained through the Trump presidency that libertarians need to pay attention because if you were to want win high office, the picking and savaging of that administration would be far worse because it'd be both sides instead of one side mm -hmm. uh, because you have no natural base. There's no natural allies. And so let's say that uh, you get 34 percent. You walk into a statewide office. You have no real power base because mm -hmm. you may have won with 34% in an election where there is such a unique uh, systematic invasion of Americans' lives and they blame the government rightly or wrongly, but rightly for that, for a lot of the problems that they are experiencing in their lives. The libertarian candidate has the right message that connects with the, the voters. Well, then they win. And they won on a grievance message as an outsider's message. What happens mm -hmm. when you become the outsider and you have no friends in the legislature, no friends in the bureaucracy, no friends in the media? In fact, you don't know any of those people because you've you spent most of your time antagonizing those people. Mm -hmm. Well, OK, well, what are you going to do? Because they're going to spend their entire time trying to thwart everything that you do. 
But if you spend your time building up a power base at the local level, first at your at your county party or even down to your township, and then you build that into a county party, and then you build that into a state party, and then you build that into a national party, and you you build from the bottom up a power base that makes you a force to be reckoned with, that is a very that is a hard thing to dissipate. That's why I am not sold on Donald Trump being this grand this godfather of the Republican Party that everybody is talking about. His power is solely based on his his media presence, his name ID, and his power. Well, now he has no power, and it is becoming increasingly harder to think that he is to view him as a popular figure. I think what he has done in the last month is very tarnishing, and I think there are probably a lot of people going, if he lied to me about this and now I realize it, what else did he fool me on? Um, and so if your power is a house of cards and it is built from the top down, it can crumble very easily. But it is very difficult to completely eradicate the death stars of the RNC and the DNC because they have such deep roots in so many different institutions. Uh, and so they're very hard to change. Well, Donald Trump could do it because he was a special moment in time, but can he do that long term? I don't think so because he doesn't have – he has grassroots, but is there any of us sitting here looking forward to spending the, the next weekend with our MAGA family members? Like, are any of us really excited to spend time with the person who's watching OANN and believing everything that they write? It's a source <laughs> of anxiety. So his base is built around anxiety like, and fear. Like, these Republican legislators are afraid of this guy. So what power does he really have? And that's what's so mystifying to me about these Republican, uh, these Republican congressmen and the party apparatus. They could stake the heart of Donald Trump's movement any moment they want and take it for themselves. Mm-hmm. It just requires some courage to do it. And they're, they have, they're too afraid of their own base because mm-hmm. they're wrongly reading the room as that's the majority of their base. It, Whoa. It, it, and that coalition is not as big that, that, that 47% that voted for Donald Trump is not as big as you think it is. It is. And this is the mistake when you criticize the MAGA guy who is just in the cult the person who coalitions with that that candidate and that group thinks you're talking about them and you're not. Well, the problem I see is that, and, and, and we can, there's some sort of analysis done on this too, is that the Republicans see that in 2018, those people didn't come out to vote. They lost a lot of seats in the House. 28, 2020 comes around, those people come out to vote. It's the second highest total of votes for a candidate for Donald Trump in history. Mm-hmm. I mean, the 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 participation in this election was off the charts from both sides. It was amazing how much how many people voted. Donald Trump gets out those people to vote. If you do anything, those people will stay home as they did in 2018, as they did before 2016. Mm-hmm. They stay home. So how do you capture those people and get them excited to go to voting for Republicans? Because that's the only way the Republicans are going to be able to stay in any kind of power is getting those people out. So they they figure they can count on the regular base. They just need somehow to get those other disenfranchised or, or non – you know, v- voters who don't really want to go to the polls unless there's a reason to go. 
and that's what Donald Trump gives them. Right. So that's why he's not being ostracized by that party because they're afraid that if he's not there pulling those voters in, they're going to be just back to where they were in 2018 and continue losing power. So Christopher writes, if the rumors of Trump starting a news channel are true, that is new and a different type of power. His influence has already been shown with the quickness of his base to abandon Fox News. Do you think that cannot be harnessed going forward? I absolutely do. I think that it's the whole reason I started this. When I was at the Libertarian Party of Indiana, I had spent four years watching the um, like beating my head up against the brick wall with direct action politics. And then I went to work at a think tank. And then I saw the the difficulty that that is. And then I started thinking about radio and I'm just like, public opinion is everything. You know, if you can, if you can influence public opinion and break through that way, then you can have a real impact. And I think we've seen that with libertarian figures like Drew Carey or Penn Jillette or Ron Paul or Glenn Jacobs, AKA Kane from, uh, or, 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 you know, or the libertarian podcast space, like if you if that information is there for people to hear the alternative opinion, then that can mm-hmm. definitely work, and it and it's a and it's a mighty important responsibility for someone to have, um, and so that can be very influential. But the problem with the Trump TV network is that a media outlet takes an incredible amount of discipline, and it takes an incredible amount of work for little pay. I can tell you that I work really hard on this. These guys work really hard on this. Brian Nichols, Rimzo, they spend hours and hours working on their stuff. It, and We Are Libertarians is growing into what it has grown into and will grow into because of my discipline, dedication, day in, day out, hard work, attention to detail, thinking about it needs to be Wall Plus, not Patreon. It needs to be the Chris Spangle Show, not – thinking about the tweaks and the constant changes and – you know, Breitbart, Andrew Breitbart was a visionary and could build something. But then when you hand it off to a Steve Bannon, he ruins it because he doesn't have that attention to detail. He doesn't have the discipline. He doesn't have the likability. You know, if you look at Twit and the This Week in Tech and what Leo Laporte has built, it's his dedication. It's his discipline. It's his efforts. It's hard to farm that out to somebody. If you were starting a pod- podcast, it's hard to farm out the podcast and say, make me successful. No, you have to be the person that is day in, day out building that stuff. And I don't think that Donald Trump has the attention to detail, and he doesn't have the ability to maintain that detail. His business record shows that. What Donald Trump is good at is licensing his name. And so he will license his name to OANN or Newsmax, and he will come on whenever he feels like it and goes, this is all fake news. And the people that are going to see it are the people that are watching it, which is going to be about 700,000 people a, a day. You know, it's going to be a, in a country of 330, 340 million people. So that impact while there, mm-hmm. this right wing media stuff does have an impact. Is it is it enough to really permanently change the, the dialogue in the in the country? I don't think so. And I think that the, the exhaustion factor with Trump is incredibly high. And what I have seen with Alex Jones, I, you know, I watch a lot of Alex Jones and I find him to be entertaining, um, but I don't find him to be persuasive. And I don't find people, I find a lot of people go through a phase where they watch a lot of Alex Jones and then they just don't anymore. You know, they go through a phase where they believe Alex Jones and then they just kind of 
expose themselves to other, other information and they don't believe it anymore. They move on, you know? And so the enduring nature of mainstream media and the New York Times and some of these big institutions are that they are more democratic than right-wing media. If you build around a single personality and that person changes or that person dies or that person retires or that person loses in, in, uh, interest or influence, it completely changes the whole thing as opposed to an institution that's built around hundreds of people. And Donald Trump cannot let anybody else in. It's why his presidency was a failure. It's why he lost because he has to be the star of the show. So Donald Trump can start all the media outlets he wants. He's not built for the war. He's not built for the long haul. He is a flash in the pan in many different cases. And so I am not terribly worried about the movement that he starts. Um, I am worried about his long-term damage if somebody else picks up this playbook and takes it to, to an effective extreme. Because what he has done and what he has the norms he has broken, let's say... Uh, uh, someone on the left or somebody on the right picks that up and runs with it and they're Tom Cotton with an attention to detail or they're Kamala Harris with an attention for legal matters, that person is dangerous because all of a sudden they refuse to believe anything. They've got their own media ecosphere. They've got their own social networks. They've got their own and they, they they don't care about the institutions that they wreck. They become... The Gracchi brothers, I, I cannot recommend, if you're going to buy yourself a Christmas present or a loved one a Christmas present, specifically somebody that's in the MAGA world, Mike Duncan's book, Storm Before the Storm, about the fall of the Roman Republic is amazing. It's very good. And what it shows you is how a republic falls apart when political norms are overrun. That was my main concern with Donald Trump in 2016. I was proven right to be concerned by it. I spent too much time giving him the benefit of the doubt, but what you see happening right now with him refusing to just accept reality, it doesn't matter what the reality and the truth is. Like if you were a person out there listening and you believe in the voter fraud and the dominion systems and all of this stuff, like because you won't read the mainstream media because they are, are, are propagandizing you. All of your evidence comes from the person that directly benefits from him staying in power. They are financially incentivized by Trump staying president, be it Trump himself, Rudy Giuliani, who's making 20 grand a day as a lawyer, or the media outlet that is beholden to Donald Trump and his movement. That's not reliable information. And if the New York Times put out the information that they were putting out with such flimsy information, you'd freak the fuck out. So... You know, it. I get so. I, I, the reason this pisses me off so much is that um, I got fooled by Bush and Iraq and Yellow Cake, and it took me a long time to accept that I was naive and gullible. And it took me a long time to swallow my pride and say I was wrong about all that, especially given the outcomes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got fooled by a Republican president, too. And, and, I hate seeing people that I like and people that I love fall for things that are completely untrue because they are unwilling to go and read information other than what they're seeing online by self-interested people who have a vested interest in in manipulating them. And it is not the same thing as the manipulation of the mainstream media and the left media. It's just, it isn't. And it's, it's a degree of differences. 
And it's time to just say that to your friends and family. It's time to get yourself informed, send them the articles, and say, you're not, you don't understand the truth. Like the Dominion stuff, the Dispatch has several great articles debunking some of that stuff. National Review uh, has written some great articles. Commentary. These three are Republican news outlets that are Trump, like National Review has been pretty Trump-friendly. And Dan McLaughlin has written several great articles listing all the ways that all of this Rudy Giuliani stuff is bullshit. And, like, we just can't let it go unchecked. And I know I'm Mr. Respect Everybody's Feelings guy, but at a certain point, I can't... You can't love someone by just ignoring the ridiculousness of this stuff. Like, you, you have to say to somebody, like, you're being fooled. You are being lied to. You know, and just because the, the the mainstream media does lie and there is problems with that, it doesn't mean that you should just automatically believe everything that these people say. Like, you know, I, I, I'm just like it's it really is grievous to me, Dennis or Reinhold, that that this is all going on. Like, I just it, it's I hate watching people be lied to and manipulated, especially by people who have political power, want to maintain it and are willing to destroy the country to keep themselves from going to jail and to maintain financial interest. I mean, that was the thing is that they say the mainstream media lies. Well, so do these outlets that they're beholden to Trump lies constantly. I mean, so how do you quote one and say, you know, defend that with the other Uh, something that I've noticed too over the years is that, or, or, or while this is going on is that the very people who spent four years yelling about the you know the resistance movement and not giving uh, Trump a fair shake and trying to say that the the election was hacked are now saying that the election was hacked and don't want to give Biden a fair shake. They're doing <laughs> the exact same thing, so they're in effect retroactively defending everything that the left did in 2016 and their reaction to. The Trump win. Yeah, like I didn't right. think that the Russia stuff was fair. And I mean, if you go back and listen in 2017, we were pretty pro-Trump and pretty anti-media. I, and and and, I, and got, a, I mean, I was on this show arguing with Reinhold about impeachment, saying he's never gotten a fair shake. He's not gonna, you know, he did get to govern. He got his tax cuts. I mean, that that just isn't true. But did he get a fair shake? Not in my opinion. But if it wasn't right then then repeating that and doing it to the other side isn't morally correct. The morality didn't change because you're on the, uh, the, the situation has changed, has it? That's not how ethics and morality work. Like, what are you allowing? I, I don't get it. And, and people think it's just started from 2016. I mean, 2000, we had Diebold who hacked right. the election. Yeah. You know, it's, it's all the same stuff, just repeated again. And and people are just going, well, they did it to us, so we'll do it to them. Well, at some point, if you don't want it to happen to you, you have to stop doing it to the other person. Someone's got to be the big man and and be the adult and stop it. Hey, Jericho, remind me of what book I mentioned, and I'll tell you. Harry, go ahead. Oh, uh, it's the <laughs> – all right, so all these people keep com- – com- what is it? I want to say, like talking about how well they're finding more votes 
these memory cards, stuff like that. But there are like small different things like that and small little things that comes, which they find every year or at every election, every time they get ready to go cert- certify the votes. They find, they quote unquote, find votes, you know, before they certify it because they're counting everything in the blast. There's always a memory card. Um, since they started using that, there's always like this one box. It It's always happened. Yeah, th- um, that's what we said they would do and- is they'd take commonly occurring things and turn that into a conspiracy and these yeah. conspiracies always have a grain of truth like i remember watching tower 7 fall on 911 mm-hmm. uh and you know like the explanation of tower 7 at the time seemed perfectly reasonable but in the fog in the his- in history it doesn't it doesn't uh look like it well, yeah, yeah. And then there's like these weird conspiracy out there talking about how some people have said like, well, when we were counting the boat, it had all these ballots that looked like they were printed out by a laser printer. They were all the exact same. Tell yeah. me people in one district all had the exact same ID, idea and wanted to vote for the exact same candidates and they were all just printed out that same day for that ballot. Yeah, so, all right, so the the whole Dominion thing, as I understand it, is essentially that, and I think I voted on one of these machines, uh, you go in, you select your, I think I showed my ballot on the last video episode, uh, you mm-hmm. go in, you vote on the electronic machine, it prints out your ballot, it has a paper copy, it's then put into the machine, mm-hmm. in the, the ballot box, and then... That does the initial scan, and then there are if if recounts are necessary, then they can go back and compare the online vote totals with the paper ballots that are secured in the ballot box. So I was on the Help America Vote Act Commission in I think it was 2011, 2012. Uh, I served on a commission that took federal money to help purchase voting machines, and I I was the lone libertarian on this thing asking about voting machine security because I had heard about the Diebold stuff in 2000 and wanted to know more about it. And uh, we spent some time on that commission walking through how this process works. In response to that in 2000, Diebold had built a printer, like a little paper ticker tape thing on every machine that you could add to it. And I was the main advocate for adding that to every machine because of that level of extra transparency. I wanted me to I wanted to be able to take a receipt and also keep a receipt in the ballot box. That all got put into these Dominion machines that I voted on and that voted on in Georgia, right? And so when they did the hand recount there is in Georgia for instance, it validates that these machines were accurate. So the counts on the electronic vote totals from the the little terminal matched what was in the in the box you walk up to this big secure box you put it through it scans the little scantron thingy puts it into the into the secure lock box like like uh like an old school you know mm-hmm. little door at a, at a at a atm that you would you would use and then that box gets transported to the uh the central counting location and stored and th- those ballots are all stored. So when they did the recount in Georgia, they matched, they looked at, at what had happened previously. They found as many votes. They found this extra 2,000 votes. Trump got 800 of those votes. Uh, he, so he, he closed the gap by almost 1,000. 
But by and large, if it had not been for those extra votes that had been found, the vote totals wouldn't have changed at all. You know, and that's the thing with recounts is because the system is accurate and secure because of the efforts of Republicans for 60 years fighting voter fraud. There, there is very little room for error. And when there is error, there are procedures to fight that stuff, which is why half a million votes got tossed out in the primary. So you have when you look at the Dominion stuff. OK, they, they changed the votes on these machines on the electronic side, but then they also somehow smuggled in 8,000 ballots, and they did this in three to four or five different swing states. And who is they? And coolers. Who is they? Who paid Dominion? They didn't also rig it for the Senate. They didn't rig it for the House. Right. You know, so now they've decided to put Biden off. They they did this whole conspiracy and had all this power to put Biden into the office, but then not give him a Senate. So now he's going to be blocked on half the stuff he wants to do. Yeah, and it doesn't make any. And Ethan is right. This is what I advocated for, which is why I'm so glad that they did it. Is that you use technology to make it faster, but you leave a paper trail to verify the initial results afterwards? How is that insecure? The only way that's insecure is if you are believing the words of people that are lying to you because they have a financial interest in charging the president money for their legal fees. A guy who just went through – go look up Rudy Giuliani's divorce proceedings. His ex-wife wanted $250,000 a month because of the way that this guy lives is so opulent. He is the elite. He is the very elite that is trying to steal elections from you. Like They, they project who they are. Uh, um, go, all go I hear is all I hear is that dear Doctor Lord, dear leader, has been trying to steal his election from Donald Trump. Been working since two thousand four right. to steal this from Donald Trump. Um, you know, so I want to play the Tucker Carlson thing because I think this is maybe when Republicans are going to start growing a spine. And I just have to say, if you are one of our Republican listeners, I've been talking to some of my local Republican friends privately, saying, "I know you. I know you know what." This is, and I know you know what is going on, and why are you not speaking out? And I got one of them to say a milk toast thing, but it was a step in the right direction because Republicans are the ones that can end this. And if you are a Republican listening and you believe this is BS, you have to start talking. You know, you you know, it, it it's you have to start sharing information. And the people who are not going to listen to you are not going to listen to you. Your your QAnon uncle at Thanksgiving is not going to believe you. But the five people in the room who kind of have heard and they could be swayed other ways, those are the people you're trying to talk to through the argument. It's the same when your racist uncle starts or your racist aunt starts saying racist things at the dinner and you check them on it. Those other five people now know it's not okay to be racist in this family. It's not enough to be against racism, Reinhold. Um, so James Darling sent this great uh, thing uh, to me. He is uh, a member uh, at chrisspangle.com of the Ideological Origins newsletter that is exclusive to members of Wall Plus. Um, you can sign up at patreon.com slash wearelibertarians, and you can get that uh, two to four times weekly, that exclusive newsletter that I write. And he's a member there, and he wrote he, – he did a bunch of math. He's a math guy. I'm not a math guy. Uh, and he, he, Trump underperforms other Republicans. And he went through all these different states to find out the difference between Trump and uh, other Republicans. 
When examining votes for the major two parties, in 43 instances, there was a statewide race for governor or statewide race for Senate or governor. Trump underperformed compared to Republican candidates in 22 of the 43 states. Compared to all Republican gubernatorial and Senate candidates, his percentage of the vote was 0.74 points smaller. Nationally, his margin was 1.93 worse than Republican gubernatorial candidates. Nationally, his margin was 0.48 points worse than Republican Senate candidates. In Georgia, his margin was 1.10 points lower than David Perdue. Uh, in North Carolina, his margin was 0.22 points lower than Jonathan Tillis or Tom Tillis. In Texas, his margin was 2.12 points lower than John Cornyn. In New Hampshire, Overwhelmingly, they selected a Republican governor and flipped the state legislature. Trump underperformed Chris Sununu's margin by nearly 20 points in North in New Hampshire. Approximately three, 355,530 votes, voters chose a Republican Senate candidate, but not Trump. Had Trump performed at the same margins as his Senate Republican counterparts, he would have secured 364,877 more votes nationwide across 33 states. And then he looked at voter fraud. Elections are run at the local and state level. There would be there would need to be thousands of people in on a conspiracy, including election judges, county clerks, secretary of states and state judges before the election. And you'd have to keep those people quiet in the Internet age. It's the same with 9-11. Thousands of people planning the thermite and all the other stuff. And nobody's ever like nobody has come out and said, I feel guilty about my role in stealing the election yet. It's been 14 days. There'd be incentive to be that person, to be that whistleblower, to be huge in MAGA land. Where are the people? Those people where are those people coming those people out? Republicans too. Well, a lot of them are Republicans that would benefit. They'd be the next. They they they'd be the next. It's like in the blacklist when the guy kills accidentally kills his wife to be the next governor. Uh, I've been watching nothing but blacklist, so I'm I'm obsessed with that show. Um, Spader for president. Uh, before the election, the Conservative Heritage Foundation found 1,100 cases of voter fraud. They are now claiming it is. 1,285 cases uh, in the last 20 years of elections, I should say. We had nearly 364,000 split votes between Republican Senate candidates and Donald Trump across 33 states. Why would Democrats change hundreds of thousands of ballots for president but not the Senate races? Biden won Maine and Georgia, where Republican candidates won a plurality. Georgia is going to a runoff. Why wouldn't you cheat for both? Georgia, where Republicans are alleging voter fraud, has a Republican Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, who was endorsed by Donald Trump. I mean, when you think about this, leading up to Georgia, because of Stacey Abrams, because of her loss, remember the 2018 elections, the whole story was uh, Stacey Abrams versus and the Florida governor's race and Gillum. And Stacey Abrams... The Republican media has made a joke of Stacey Abrams thinking she delusionally won that race. And the left says, well, there was voter fraud and disenfranchisement and 55,000 votes is, were stolen because they cleaned the rolls. And is there a greater villain on the left than the Georgia Secretary of State? Now everybody has switched roles, and the Republicans are claiming he's the most evil man on earth, and the left is loves, in love with this guy because he's not 
subverting the election because Lindsey Graham is violating the law, uh, racking up felonies to call this guy to tell him to throw out votes. Literally, just throw out votes. Claim they're illegal votes and throw them out. Just it doesn't matter which votes. Just claim they're illegal votes and then throw them out. When the Georgia Secretary of State says your voter disenfranchisement plans are too aggressive, you fucked up, dog. Uh, So it just boggles the mind how many different pretzels we have to twist ourselves into to make this all work. Lawsuits by the Trump campaign have counted to be thrown out in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Georgia for a lack of evidence. He's one for 29 since Election Day in these uh, elections. The whole point of doing discovery in a lawsuit is that in the fog of an emotional episode that requires a civil or criminal trial, there is discovery where you find evidence, you get affidavits, you you get sworn testimony, you find witnesses, you find physical evidence, you put all this together through discovery. And after the election, we were told by everybody on Team Trump that you need to do this discovery, you need to go to trial. And I said... Go for it. Let's do this. Let's. I'm. I'm all for it. the more information, the better. One for twenty nine, and now what are we hearing? Well, that doesn't matter. And the truth is, is nothing is ever going to change the minds of several of certain people. The truth is, the president is never going to think anything other than Dominion stole this election for him. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant what he thinks. But when you get to this article in, uh, in Reuters that just scared the crap out of me. It really matters what other people think about this kind of stuff. Um, it's one of the five scariest paragraphs I have ever read uh, in, in an article, and I'll put it in the show notes. Now, Fryer says this is a Reuters article. This is the guy's words uh, talking to a MAGA, a MAGA guy. Now, Fryer says he would go to war for Trump. He's joined the newly formed South Plains Patriots, a group of a few hundred members that includes a reactionary force of about three dozen, including Fryer and his son Caleb, who conduct firearms training. Nothing will convince Fryer and many others here in Sundown, I think it's in South Dakota, uh, including, in the ta- including the town's mayor, another Patriots member, that Democrat Joe Biden won the November 3rd presidential election fairly. They believe Trump's stream of election fraud allegations and say they're preparing for the possibility of a civil war with the American political left. Now, that could be interpreted as they are going on offense, but I sort of read that as them being like these guys. They believe that that Cory Booker's rolling into town with to, to take over and uh, plant, you know, blacks are going to have to live next to them with forced integration, uh, you know, the, which was basically what Trump was threatening if he lost. Uh, so these guys are thinking of a, of, of a defensive civil war. Quote, if President Trump comes out and says, guys, I have irrefutable pu- proof of fraud, the courts won't listen, and now I'm calling on Americans to take up arms, we would go, said Fryer, wearing a button-down shirt, press slacks, and paisley tie during the recent interview at his office. I changed my mind. That's an offensive statement. Uh, in Reuters interviews with 50 Trump voters, all said they believe the election was rigged or in some way illegitimate. Of those 20, said they would consider accepting Biden as their president, but only in light of proof that the election was conducted fairly. Most, re- most repeated debunked conspiracy theories espoused by Trump, Republican officials, and conservative media, claiming that millions of voters' votes were dishonestly switched to Biden in key states by biased poll workers and hacked voting machines. There's literally no evidence 
for that. And I'll play Tucker Carlson explaining that to you in a moment. It may not be the last time. Many Republicans see attacks on election integrity as a winning issue for future campaigns, including the next presidential race, according to one Republican operative close to the Trump campaign. Uh, The party, the person said, is pushing for more stringent oversight on the voting procedures in 2024 when Trump will likely be the successor. How much more stringent could it get? It's stringent and they don't accept it. (laughs) Uh, So this leads us to Tucker Carlson uh, creating quite the firestorm. Now, Tucker is not known necessarily as uh, 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 independent by now. He claims he is in this, but. Tucker obviously is is pro Trump and uh, makes the case effectively for Trump, which is why he's so hated. And I just want you to hear what Tucker Carlson said, uh, because they're like, it, it's just like, all right, wow. By former prosecutor Sidney Powell, who has also served as General Mike Flynn's lawyer for more than a week. Powell has been all over conservative media with the following story. This election was stolen by a collection of international leftists who manipulated vote tabulating software in order to flip millions of votes from Donald Trump to Joe Biden. The other day on television, Powell said of Trump that when the fraud is finally uncovered, quote, I think we'll find he had at least 80 million votes. In other words, rigged software stole about 7 million votes in this election. Here's some of what Powell said today about the software. One of its most characteristic features is its ability to flip votes. It can set and run an algorithm that probably ran all over the country to take a certain percentage of votes from President Trump and flip them to President Biden, which we might never have uncovered had the votes for President Trump not been so overwhelming in so many of these states that it broke the algorithm that had been plugged into the system. And that's what caused them to have to shut down in the states they shut down in. That was a few hours ago, but Sidney Powell has been saying similar things for days. On Sunday night, we texted her after watching one of her segments. What Powell was describing would amount to the single greatest crime in American history. Millions of votes stolen in a day. Democracy destroyed. The end of our centuries-old system of self-government. Not a small thing. Now, to be perfectly clear, we did not dismiss any of it. We don't dismiss anything anymore, particularly when it's related to technology. We've talked to too many Silicon Valley whistleblowers. We've seen too much. After four years, this may be the single most open-minded show on television. We literally do UFO segments, not because we're crazy or even been interested in the subject, but because there is evidence that UFOs are real and everyone lies about it. There's evidence that a lot of things that responsible people used to dismiss out of hand as ridiculous are in fact real. And we don't care who mocks it. The louder the Yale Political Science Department and the staff of the Atlantic Magazine scream, conspiracy theory, the more interested we tend to be. That's usually a sign you're over the target. A lot of people with impressive sounding credentials in this country are frauds. They have no idea what they're doing. They're children posing as authorities. And when they're caught, they lie and then they blame you for it. We see that every day. It's the central theme of this show and will continue to be. So that's a long way of saying we took Sidney Powell seriously. We had no intention of fighting with her. We've always respected her work. We simply wanted to see the details. How could you not want to see them? So we invited Sidney Powell on the show. We would have given her the whole hour. We would have given her the entire week, actually, and listened quietly the whole time at rapt attention. That's a big story. 
But she never sent us any evidence, despite a lot of requests, polite requests, not a page. When we kept pressing, she got angry and told us to stop contacting her. When we checked with others around the Trump campaign, people in positions of authority, they told us Powell has never given them any evidence either, nor did she provide any today at the press conference. Powell did say that electronic voting is dangerous, and she's right, we're with her there. But she never demonstrated that a single actual vote was moved illegitimately by software from one candidate to another, not one. So why are we telling you this? We're telling you this because it's true. And in the end, that's all that matters, the truth. It's our only hope, it's our best defense. And it's how we're different from them. We care what's true, and we know you care too. That's why we told you. Maybe Sidney Powell will come forward soon with details on exactly how this happened and precisely who did it. Maybe she will, we are certainly hopeful that she will. What happened with the vote counting this month and at the polling places in Detroit and the polling places in Philadelphia and so much else actually matters. It matters no matter who you voted for. It matters whether or not you think this election is already over. Until we know the answers to those questions conclusively and we can agree on them, this country will not be united. I mean, that is a uh, long, strange trip, uh, but I think it uh, it shows you that even on this Dominion thing, though, which is kind of the thing like they've run out of facts. The, the Detroit thing didn't really work out the way that they wanted to. And the Michigan thing hasn't really worked out the way that they wanted to. And so now they're just going with just a thing that even Tucker Carlson is like, I just can't. I can't do this. I can't get on board with this. Um, you know, and uh, a lot of this. So where where do I think this stuff is heading? Um, before I do that, let me let the other guys jump in. I mean, anything you want to say about this part? We move on from the, I, the conspiracy stuff. I, I think this is the first sign that Tucker's trying to think about his future um, and, and not put himself into that camp. Um, Cause the rest of Fox news has been saying, Hey, this is, you know, this is a little silly. So all that's left is really Hannity and, and uh, Tucker Carlson on Fox news. And, and even Trump is, you know, they've been saying that Fox news has abandoned them. They've called it for Biden when they shouldn't have, they've, you know, we we have to go to Newsmax or OANN to get the real news now, right? So they're they're just kind of I, I think Tucker's finally seeing the writing on a wall that this stuff isn't going to pan out in his favor. Well, I also think and this walk himself back. Yeah, and I I think that this was a defensive move uh, by people in the administration. There's a lot of uh, smoke coming out. So like this article here on uh, Axios, Jonathan Swan, the the Australian guy that did the interview that produced all those memes. Uh, he put this out the other day. Um, let's see. The near universal opinion in his efforts to help Giuliani could not have done more harm to Trump. His debate prep fueled the president's over the top antics in the first one. Uh, the New York mayor ruined the carefully planned wall street journal piece about Tony Bobolinsky and the hard drives. Giuliani asked the Trump campaign to pay him for 20,000 daily for his legal services. And now he's litigating a case rooted in conspiracies that Powell is alleging the voting machines used in the U.S. were hijacked with software designed to keep the late Venezuelan dictator in Hugo Chavez. Like the lady literally said that Hugo Chavez 
plotted before his death to steal this election for Trump. And he died like five, six years ago, long before Trump ever was running. Uh, and Tucker, you know, that that was kind of a little telling moment that Tucker, you know, we've talked to people in the administration. I think that uh, Trump is a guy who always keeps his options open. And he's having uh, if if uh, Trump is not the one planting this with Swan and Tucker, it's Javanka or one of these other advisors is going to friendly people to leak mm-hmm. out. Hey, even we're kind of not behind this. This is all Giuliani's thing. So they have the the ability later to go, well, I didn't, you know, I wasn't all in on it. That was Giuliani's thing. It's it's oh, it's the plausible thing too is Giuliani yeah, Giuliani got him impeached basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Ukraine stuff. I mean, it all goes yeah. back to Rudy. He is a menace. Yeah. There is no doubt about that. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. His his his, uh, re- his interactions with you know Fertosh and and the investigation that he's under. I mean, this this strike force team that they called themselves the strike force. <laughs> there's like five lawyers on it. Three of them are under investigation, right? And have ties to Fertosh. And it's just like, how could you pick the the worst possible grouping of people? Sidney Powell, who has only gained a name by mm-hmm. crazily trying to get Flynn. Uh, out of jail, which he should be in jail for, um, and now we've got people saying free, free Flynn. Like, how I don't know how this all happens, <laughs> but she's she's. Uh, the, there was a funny thing with Giuliani was a lot of a lot of lawyers were listening in because you could listen into that first hearing that he did. So it was like the first time he was in front of a, a judge in years and practi- actually practicing law, mm-hmm. and he clearly didn't know what was going on, right? He didn't know that, you know, when he was being asked a question, what the right answer and response was supposed to be. And he fumbled through a lot of it. At one point, the the, the judge asked him something about op- the opacity of something. And he said, well, I don't know what that is. And someone on Twitter said, well, I think the judge is going to see right through that. Um, there was just so many funny moments out of that event and it did not go well at all for him listen it was really really bad i am partly a libertarian because of ron paul owning rudy giuliani in the 2000 debates and realizing wow i think i believe what that old guy thinks like rudy giuliani was was brilliant on 9-11 and then he leveraged that into a significant career in quote-unquote security Helping lead this country into more wars, more foreign entanglements, more. He has been wrong all along. He he is the Mr. Stop and Frisk. Like, this guy has always been this guy. And Ron Paul knew it and exposed him. And so, you know, that that earned the ire of the establishment against Ron Paul. And the fact that he is basically out there beclowning himself... On a daily basis, I absolutely love because this neocon jerk is getting exactly what is coming to him. All of these people are getting what what is coming to them. Like, and people take that to mean, oh well, they're you know the the left is just going to punish them and not let Republicans back into mainstream society. No, it's holding people accountable for their bad decisions. Like Joe Biden shouldn't be president because he has been wrong on the drug war, on foreign policy, on basically everything. Now he's president, but people choose what they choose. You know, and Rudy Giuliani is a guy that deserves to be publicly shamed. Um, uh, so I wanted to a couple brief things before we finish out on the Electoral College. I know we got off on a, an hour-long <laughs> tangent, as we do. 
Um, and I know that this is an actor, but I thought that this was a good summation of why I think Donald Trump is doing what he is doing. Um, the actor is Edward Norton from Fight Club and all that. And he writes, I'm no po- political pundit, but my dad was a federal prosecutor and he taught me a lot. And I've also sat with a lot of poker players. I do not think Trump is trying to make his base happy or laying the groundwork for his own network or chaos is what he loves. The core of it is that he knows he's in deep, multidimensional legal jeopardy, and this defines every action. So we're seeing a tactical delay of the transition to buy time for a cover-up and evidence suppression of his presidencies, he means. Above all, a desperate endgame, which is to create enough chaos and anxiety about peaceful transfer of power and fear of irreparable damage to the system that he can cut a Nixon-style deal in exchange for finally conceding, but he doesn't have the cards. His bluff after the, quote, flop has been called in court. His, quote, turn card bluff will be an escalation, and his, quote, river card bluff could be really ugly. But they have to be called. We cannot let this mobster bully in the USA deal into a deal by threatening our democracy. That it is that is his play. He's got a junk hand, so call him. Uh, so then he's uh, going to just get now. I, I'll stand with the point, and I'll leave the rest of the pejoratives out of it. Uh, but I think that that's that's sort of right. That, like there, at the heart of everything is personal incentive. And you have to think, what are the personal incentives for people like Rudy Giuliani, for this lawyer lady, for Donald Trump himself, for people in MAGA world? Like, what are they really getting out of this? What is their, what is their fear that, you know, all that, all the tax return stuff, all this stuff kind of shows, like, he's in serious trouble. And I've heard from multiple uh, pundits that they all kind of agree with that, that, that he is kind of just buying time. Because this is a very common thing that authoritarians do. They've, they've stretch the law so far and there's ample evidence to put them in jail that they eventually just get they they subvert the election basically to stay in power that's what erdogan did in turkey um so norton's thing is call the bluff and i totally agree call the bluff let's see what you got buddy like let him be this is the thing with narcissists call their bluff let them be themselves let them expose themselves don't cater like if you're in physical danger, it's a lot different. But if you are dealing with a narcissistic person from a position of safety, then you got to call their bluff. Let them expose themselves and let them show who and what they are. And then just go, is this appropriate? Is this decent? I don't think so. Um, I wondered when Darla was going to come show up. Uh, who cares what Ed Norton? He's just another Democrat voting celebrity. I know. But I think that his his analogy was was interesting. Um, so on Democrats also struggled as well with that undervote again to James Darling's research, which I'll link in the show notes. James Joe Biden also underperformed compared to forty three statewide Democrats, underperforming against twenty one candidates. The Republicans defended the Senate and are likely to have at least fifty one seats. The Democrats lost a lost a net of five seats in the House. Democrats only won three of 11 gubernatorial races. Republicans held 59 state legislatures compared to 39 by Democrats. And the Republicans flipped two more legislatures by sweeping in New Hampshire for a 61 to 37 lead. By comparison, Democrats flipped six legislatures in 2018. So the Democrats across the board in state legislatures, in gubernatorial races, in the House, in the Senate, lost big on Election Day. There was a blue wave for Joe Biden because people don't like Trump. 
And then they don't like lockdowns, so they didn't go for Democrats in these positions of local power and the House and the Senate. So if they were going to cheat on a mass scale in a systematic way, why do that? Uh, he also said libertarians had a few bright spots. Joe Jorgensen gained 1.58 million votes nationwide, second only to Johnson in 2016. Marshall Burt won a state seat in Wyoming, and Don Rainwater secured 11.4% of the vote in the Indiana gubernatorial race. Uh, so, you know, I don't know what to tell you. Like, there's no amount of facts that can be given to someone when they want to be lied to, when they want their ears tickled. So... Uh, now, let's jump into what we're about to see next. What will we see with the Electoral College going forward? What is the timeline now for how a president takes power? Um, now, over the past year, spring and summer, nomination of electors. The political parties in each state nominate their electors. Parties and states have different ways of going about this, but a party's presidential electors are generally loyal or consistent party members. The parties want to be sure they can rely on their electors to cast their votes for the party's nominee for president. Um, and we had a question above. Um, do we think that uh, Jenna writes, do you think Trump will be successful in flipping any electoral votes? I don't know. Um, I don't think so. I think that uh, if in some states you're legally bound, you are to vote the way that the state, the state, like here in Indiana, you have to vote. You get all the electors. In some states, like in Virginia, I know that in Nixon's election in 72, um, John Hospers and Tony Nathan got uh, one electoral vote in Virginia for the Libertarian Party ticket. Tony Nathan was the first woman to receive an electoral vote um, because they were um, they objected to voting for Nixon as Republican electors. And so they voted for the Libertarian Party. Now, uh, the Supreme Court just upheld that states can do that. They have the constitutional right to force electors to vote the way that the legislature demands they vote. So you in Indiana can't go and vote for somebody else. You would face criminal prosecution for doing so. Um, so, uh, I don't know that that's possible and maybe there will be one or two, but I don't, you know, maybe one person who will be incentivized to be famous by flipping their electoral vote. But for the most part, the person that goes and casts their electoral vote is a party insider that doesn't want their career to be over. The, the incentive structure is mainly to vote with the swamp, right? November 3rd, election day. This is when voters in each state, uh, will select their presidential electors. So here in Indiana, we voted for Trump. Trump gets those electors. The, the name of electors are not on the ballot in most states. Rather, when a voter casts for a presidential candidate, they are casting a vote for the electors, selected by the party of that candidate. Late November, early December, each state has its own deadline to certify the election. However, if ballot disputes, litigation, and other factors delay the count, blowing this deadline doesn't invoke a penalty in the presidential race. And so, like you saw yesterday, Georgia certified their election. That means that they've done the final canvas. They've done the recounts that need to be done. They publish it on their website and say, this is the final count. There are no more votes to be counted. December 8th, 2020, the deadline for resolving election disputes, safe harbor deadline, all state recounts and court contests over presidential election results must be completed by this date, according to the U.S. Code. 
For the majority of states, the date of certification is the same as for all contests, but in eight states, there is a deadline that either directly references 3 U.S.C. 5 or uses similar language requiring that disputes surrounding the selection of presidential electors be resolved in time to meet the safe harbor deadline. These states are Indiana, Iowa, New Jersey, North Carolina, Ohio, Tennessee, Texas, and Virginia. The safe harbor deadline means that Congress cannot challenge any electors by this date in accordance with the state law. Most states want their electors named by this deadline to ensure Congress cannot disregard them. December 14th is the meeting of the electors. The electors meet in each state and cast their ballot for president and vice president. Each elector votes on his or her own, own ballot and signs it. The ballots are immediately transmitted to various people. One copy goes to the president of the U.S. Senate, who is also the vice president. This is the copy that will be officially counted later. Other copies go to the secretary of state for the person's state, the National Archives and Records Administration, and the presiding judge in the district where the electors meet. This serves as a backup copy that would replace the official copy sent to the president of the Senate if it is lost or destroyed. Missing this deadline can mean a state's electors don't count in the presidential tally. Any electors seated between December 8th and this date can still vote, but they could theoretically be challenged by Congress. So December 8th is when those are selected, and uh, that, that's kind of the final date. Also by December 14th, the date, this date, uh, the governor of each state must certify the state's presidential election and slate of electors. December 23rd, deadline for the receipt of ballots. The electors' ballots from all states must be received by the president of the Senate by this date. There is no penalty for missing this deadline. On January 3rd, the new Congress is sworn in. That's important. January 6th is the counting of the electoral ballots. The Congress meets on this day in a joint session to count the electoral votes. And on January 20th is Inauguration Day, and the president-elect becomes the president. Now, uh... This is when all the shenanigans take place. Um, will Congress challenge electors? Will state officials declare that different sets of electors? Will governors? Now, here's the thing. Governors are t- tend to be more pragmatic people. Think about your mayor. Think about your governor. And then compare them to your congressman and your senator and your president. They're usually the mayors. Congress people can bloviate. Right. You can go to the Senate and talk trash all you want. But when you're mayor, the trash needs to be picked up on time. The police need to arrest people in, in the right way. Like they have a full they have a much more pragmatic set of problems, which is why why libertarian party people tend to not want to run for local offices like that. They want to run for legislative offices because then they can bloviate and they don't have to have actual plans. Uh, so um I don't think that any of these governors, you saw two Republican governors say they voted for Biden or didn't vote at all. I think it was like Rhode Island and Connecticut. Um, So it's acceptable there. Uh, And uh, these state legislators, you saw the two Michigan Trump use the Oval Office to drag these two Michigan legislators in that that he was pinning his hopes on them, not certifying the election to to fool with the delegates they afterwards said they weren't they weren't persuaded and they will certify the election. Michigan will go to to, to Biden. Um, 
Trump is trying shenanigans, but it makes me thankful that Joe Biden won by 8,000 votes. I don't, I was going to get screwed no matter what, but what if this had been 1, 1 million votes, not 8 million votes? What if this had been 2,000 votes in one swing state, like Pennsylvania or Georgia, and everything came down to Pennsylvania, and it wasn't 100,000 votes in Pennsylvania, it was 2,000 votes. I think we'd be in, we'd be in a, a much different set of calculations at this moment, um, and I think we'd be in real dire straits, guys. It would be 2,000 all over again. That was a 500-vote difference in a, swing, in a state that decided the election, and that's why the dissension down onto the voting process in Florida was so massive. How many lawyers were there, right? Yeah. Uh, they made a movie about it. Um, the hanging chads entered our lexicon from, from that. And we got a Supreme court decision out of it. Uh, we had a secretary of state that was going to um, certify the election and then we had the legislature trying to override that and put in their own electors. I mean, we were close to doing the same things then that are being talked about now, but it all got saved by the uh, Supreme Court decision, um, which isn't the same Supreme Court. So Rudy Giuliani is trying to use that Supreme Court decision as a defense for what he's trying to do now, and they're not even close to being the same things. Right. So, yeah. And, and the, listen, the, and these are all different people. Like there's a there's a big difference between, you know, George W. Bush and Al Gore and the way that they approach 2000 versus how Donald Trump would approach this. You know, I mean, it's oh, yeah. it, it, at, at, at some point. Like. At what point? I guess I just, you know, growing up, like you hear about checks and balances, you just never thought that you'd live to see checks and balances at work. <laughs> um, you never thought that you'd, you'd see like a president commit like tr near treasonous behavior to keep himself from going to jail to, it, to disrupt the, the votes to like propagandize people on his side to the point that like they believe things that are just not true and can be proven with physical printed ballots. Like, I guess I never thought that I would live to see a pre and I took for granted that like, we all know government is indecent, full of sociopaths, but like they, they, they still played by some rules and it just kind of has, has shook me to know that like, Oh wow. What happens the next time when somebody doesn't play by the rules and they're, and they're competent and they're not lazy. Right. You know, like this is the laziest coup in history because mm -hmm. Donald Trump is playing golf and he doesn't understand or care about the details. He's just outsourcing it to Rudy. Like the danger really is what happens if the next person understands details of the law and uses these same sorts of tactics and won't go and won't uphold the, you know, the secession of, of power. Like it, it, it just makes you go, you got to, you got to get. You got to get rid of Prism. You got to get rid of the the war powers. You've got to get rid of the the Defense Military Authorization Act. You've got to get rid of uh, the welfare state. You got to get rid of all of these tools of power to to limit this one position being so powerful and the government in, in and of itself. Like so, it's just imperative. It's a lesson that needs to be learned. And I thought that the Democrats would have learned it 
in 2016. And I'm hoping the Republicans learn it this time, but they haven't shown any propensity for actually <laughs> catching on to what they should be learning here. And I, and I think what we're going to see too, uh, to diverge a little bit is that remember in 2000, how we were being told that we're good because the ballots are a public knowledge. I mean, you, it, they were going to go count those ballots. Remember that, you know, after, you know, Bush is in charge, but we're going to go get those ballots counted and we're going to find out who really won. And then it's really going to be in trouble. Right. And so they had a group of people uh, led by a, um, a newspaper. I can't remember which newspaper um, went and counted all of those ballots again by hand over a couple month period of time and found for the whole state of Florida and found out that had the recount continued Bush would have won by even more votes. The only way that Gore could have won Florida is if he had asked for a full statewide recount, in which case he would have won by a few hundred votes, but he didn't ask for one. Right. So that that's the thing is that they went, they're going to go, they can say we want an audit. Well, you're going to go do an audit because that's what they're going to do because there's a bunch of crazy people who will go and do this. They'll go and find and look at all those ballots in all these states, and they're going to find out. It was pretty close. It was, you know, there's not a lot of fraud going on. Nothing's going to really change. So at that point, do they accept it? Right? That's the only way that that's going to – so just just like in 2000 – if, if Donald Trump – if it went to the Supreme Court and Donald Trump lost, Donald Trump would walk out on the steps of the Supreme Court, and he would go – I can't believe they got to Amy Cooney Barrett. <laughs> like, he wouldn't accept it. Like, oh, yeah. There isn't any scenario. Like, if he hasn't accepted 8 million votes, he's no. not going to accept Amy Coney Barrett and, and his three yeah. Supreme Court justices. Like, there's nothing that will convince him. And there's nothing that is going to convince a there's lot of the people be, on his side. There's still Democrats who think that Bush stole the election in 2000. But I yeah. don't. The, the worst part is that all those people aren't in power. It's Trump that's being caught up in this. He actually believes the stuff that Rudy's been telling him for the past two years. Mm-hmm. That's where he's got in trouble. He's not think he's not, he doesn't have the capacity to understand what's going on with this and that he's being lied to and manipulated by other people. Right. Well, go to the uh, point with, you said, uh, Chris, about seeing the checks and balances. Excuse me. Excuse oh, me. <laughs> Dr. Lord, dear leader. Thank you. Dr. Door. <laughs> Going back to your point, um, <laughs> got me laughing over here, um, because for I, you, you sat there with people, especially during the the Bush era, talking about all these ridiculous executive orders and having all this power going to the executive branch. Obama was supposed to come in, bring all that back, but they gave even more power to the executive branch, and we kept talking about how a madman can get in power and just abuse these things. Well, a madman got in power, thankfully incompetent madman. So, but you're right. It, it does this wake everyone up? Get them woke. The idea that we have to limit, we have to put the 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 chains back on the executive branch. Pull that all. Pull a lot of that back. Because if someone did get that, look what they could do. Look the damage someone could do in four years. Yeah, you know. And Congress you know? has to stop being a bunch of pussies. Correct. They, they, uh, I don't know if you, you mean that pejorative. But no, 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 no. Just, they're, they're all spineless little pussies. 
just, just I can keep adding on. Uh, is it verbs or adjectives? I can. I, I'll add both. The They're ad, all spineless. The adjectives, verbs, or actions. Spine, spineless street fucking. Pussies. How much power does Susan Collins have now? By the way. Oh right, yeah, and that's you know, if they as Ethan pointed out. If they wanted to cheat Susan Collins to win, everybody would have been like, yeah, that makes sense. But they didn't. Like, they, which has never been defined. Again, always ask yourself with all this stuff, who's they? Was it the Biden campaign? Was it the cabal? Like, what's great about the blacklist? Yeah, what's great about the blacklist is that literally somebody listened to a year and a half of Alex Jones and then wrote his worldview into a television show. Uh, So it's it's funny um you know darla says i love it i love it people losing faith in in democracy that's good yes but here's my counter to 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 you like i don't find the hoppian stuff all that persuasive nor do i find the people that push anarchism to be the kind of people that i want to live in a world with like you've got to be better messengers uh, you know, like liberal democratic capitalism, if we're going to ha- centralize force, is a far better system than monarchy or socialism or, 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 you know, like it gives us the best opportunity to move back towards something that is, is much more limited. And the only path to an anarchist society is through liberal democratic capitalism, in my view. I prefer yeah, anarcho-monarchism. <laughs> What'd you say? Yeah, look, look at all the libertarians who are actually embracing monarchism right now. It's <laughs> nice. it's scary to me to see to see the turn mm-hmm. on that because mm-hmm. I mean that's that's the ultimate path away from liberty. So, all right, final thoughts. I think I've, I've run out of stuff. Um, uh, Ethan writes to Spengel's earlier point, Congress functions as if we are a parliamentary system and treat the president as the head of a political party that must be obeyed. We got to stop it. This is a federal system. Um, we are going to for us. dig deep into what constitutionalism in a federal government system looks like, especially on, on wall plus make sure you join wall plus at we are slash support or patreoncom slash we are libertarians. Thank you so much for joining us. Final thoughts. Um, let's see here. Uh, let's see. Darla re- retorts, this system is a joke. An 80-year-old war criminal is the next president. Voters are dumb. They're not getting any smarter. I mean, I don't have an argument for that. Technically <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> not wrong. <laughs> uh, Galt says, no libertarian is advocating for monarchism. LMAO. What a terrible take. You are wrong. Uh, oh. Peter Quinones, uh, Dave Smith. Ethan, uh, I mean, who, do we want to go down the list? Ethan, Ethan, I am also an anarcho-capitalist monarchist. So, I mean, the, you know, and Ethan couldn't be more prag. Uh, okay, final thoughts, uh, Harry. I, first off, I only want anarcho-monarchism so we can have princesses and galas, and <laughs> it'll be a lot more fun. A lot of we can actually have the ceremony. It will be great. You have a picture of the Kaiser, don't you? You have a poster <laughs> in your garage of the Puck Kaiser. <clears throat> Hiding all that. Um, the thing is, uh, this is a good time for people listening to the show to make sure their friends keep paying, uh, especially if they're people who voted for Biden, like these last four years have actually paid attention to politics. Keep them paying attention. 
tell him like, hey, you know, like now that Trump's going to lose power, keep paying attention. But everything that you've rallied about for these last two years, can you keep paying attention? Because I'm going to keep saying the exact same things, just that, you know, just someone has gotten the different ring of power now. Please keep paying attention. You know, couldn't agree with you more. And and, and it's honestly one reason that I want it to be like the Chris Spangle show, because I want to talk about civics. I want to talk about how these systems work. I want to talk about existing law and why why this stuff is problematic, but also why are institutions good? Why are like in some ways I've 2020 has made me more of a small C conservative. Like, I I don't think we talk enough about how we will deal with like I, I did on the now hear this show that I do. I have a radio show. You can download the podcast. Now hear this with Chris Spangle. And it's a look at local nonprofits. And like, if you want a really good view of what's happening in the middle of the pandemic, that's a great show because I've learned all about the needs for food, the rise in suicide hotlines, like domestic violence and the issues there. Like it really comes down to, uh, it gets granular and on the ground about a lot of what's happening and a lot of the need. And when I talked to Gleaner's food bank, he said there, there just isn't a way for private charity to make up the need that takes place with SNAP and, and food stamps. All right. Challenge accepted. <laughs> you know, like it's the, the magnitude when you talk to somebody like uh, the head of the one of the largest food banks in the Midwest, the order of magnitude of need that takes place is not currently made up by private charity and massive institutions need to be built to facilitate the need and the funding that goes along with that because currently the funding is done by the federal government so how do you get from here to there and and i don't think that we do a a good enough job and so as we as the more populist streak of uh, you know libertarianism and conservatives has risen up it's really good at telling us all the things that we shouldn't support and don't like but sometimes that stuff is at the expense of the institutions that we need. Like journalism in and of itself is a necessary tool in a free society to determine the truth. And I think that it's counterproductive for libertarians to say, don't trust the experts, don't trust the media, right? Like expertise is a function of a free market system. Somebody dedicates their whole life to studying this expertise for financial incentives and they, they have a better understanding than the person that's growing turnips. But I'm going to go listen to the turnip guy when I want to know how to cook a turnip properly, right? Like, but the, the capitalism gives that person the ability to wake up every day excited about turnips. I don't give a crap. You're right. I just know that I don't ever have to think about how to grow a turnip, and that whole thing is decentralized, and the market gives me turnips, and I never need to think about turnips, and that's a free market system, and, and, and his expertise needs to be appreciated. You know, and the, now the critique of that is that, of course, when experts are used to to craft political policies and and force is applied to people based on the views of one set of experts, that of course is problematic. That's not the problem of the experts. That's the problem of the fact that this is, the state exists. And so I'm not anti-left, and I'm not anti-right, and I'm not anti-expert. I'm anti-state, and the. And I think that by being anti-state, there still needs to be pro-markets. There needs to be pro-expertise. There needs to be pro-something, pro-institutions. Um, you know, because you look at journalism, the the the, the notion of journalists, journalism being broken 
and the roiling that that has caused within that institution, that's really good. That's good for it. It's clarifying for it. And it makes people think more about how they do their job, right? And there is no central planner in that. It is just a function of that particular industry thinking about their own ethics and their own process. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And I think we should encourage those debates and participate in that, but not sit there and go, don't ever listen to these people. And, you know, and I don't think anybody outright specifically ever says, don't listen to any mainstream media. But that certainly is the effect when shame and guilt and and constant haranguing are used to keep people from engaging in that. So so I think 2020 has made me think a lot more about, um, I think, less uh, less like a a uh, a liberal or a progressive in that there is a system that can perfect man and that it will it will all be fine if we all just were libertarian and more like a conservative um slash classical liberal who kind of thinks there's always going to be tension there's always going to be factions how do we balance this out so everybody has the maximum freedom and everybody has the ability to self-actualize actualize uh, and so I think that sometimes that that uh, that thought process is discordant with the more populist elements of where Trump has taken the right. Um, but I think it's a necessary conversation that moving forward we need to have and think about. So, um, Reinhold, final thoughts? Uh, final thoughts? I could probably um, go for hours and hours on this topic, but uh... – We'll stop here for everybody else's sanity. But one thing I wanted to bring up is that it's going to be interesting to see how Trump does try to take things after the election is over. Um, I think he'll be fighting for his uh, freedom uh, through the lawsuits and everything else. But on top of that, I don't think he's going to have the platform that he once had to get his message out on Twitter. Because I think Twitter is probably day after election – going to cut him off. So I yeah. imagine he'll be on parlor because that's the next Twittery type of thing that would welcome him and glad to have him over there. Um, but I don't know how much of a reach that's going to be. Right. So that'll explode the use of, of parlor. Cause all these, all the Trump fans will go there. You want to know what's funny, right? I went viral on parlor last week. I got, I, uh, I had a post that me of all people, I had a post that went mm-hmm. 1.5 million people saw it. And it was a freak thing because I didn't comment on this story that I posted, but it was a Jonathan Swan Axios post, swampiest news outlet you can imagine, talking about how Donald Trump was planning to run in 2024, which led to three different sets of comments. He won the election. He's going to win in 2024. Hell yeah. And why would you post this swamp rat newsletter? (laughs) <laughs> and it and it went so viral that I gained two thousand followers, and like now everything I post gets like a thousand people. And I, I, I see, yeah, sixteen hundred and sixteen thousand almost. Yeah, we are libertarians has a, a has a parlor. Our good friend Rimzo works at Parlor, so we Reinhold will not make fun of Parlor. That's the the cardinal rule of being a co host on We Are Libertarians. There's only one: you don't screw with anybody else's money. Uh, so no matter no matter how echoey chamber that can be sometimes we we participate in parlor and we enjoy it because we are very proud of the uh, hard work of our friend Renzo. i would love to get ver- verified on parlor <laughs> not, i'm not 
Well, uh, hopefully you I'm can not, go- I'm not able to post to the We Are Libertarians. So that's I can, okay. I can add you. Uh, I, I don't think you're going to like Parler. So I just think it's funny. Like, imagine, imagine all these people who like followed me because they're like, hell yeah, this guy's pro-Trump like me. It's going to be funny. And this is the other thing I wanted to bring up. It's going to be so nice <laughs> to start being called a uh, racist Nazi again. Oh, I know. Yeah. Uh, now that this four-year foray has come and gone, and I've been a liberal, progressive, commie, socialist have, for the have last you, four years. Have you hit anybody with the Biden derangement syndrome yet? <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't used – I've seen other people using it, though, j- j- uh, but I have uh, not seen it. I have um, not used it myself. I think it's Miller Jr. J- j- I'm so sorry, John Miller Jr. He's a – I'm thinking of – I can see his profile picture. I just – I'm blanking on his name temporarily here. Uh, he's one of our patrons and he, uh, <laughs> like every post that certain people make in the Facebook group, he just writes Biden derangement syndrome. <laughs> and I laugh every time because it, I, I haven't hit, uh, by the way, yeah, I haven't hit, hit anybody with it yet. I'm saving it for something special. Yeah. And it's, it's just, it's going to be fun because I mean, you can go back and look at my writing the whole time the Obama was in office and it was just. You know, ripping him a new one every 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 uh, one I wrote, but uh, suddenly I'm I'm a lefty, you know, again. So so that'll change as as soon as Trump kind of quietly goes away, and we don't have to worry or talk about him anymore. We can start hammering on Biden really well. Hasn't there's the, so much there to hit him with? Hasn't there's the gonna silence, be so much stuff happening? Hasn't the silence been nice? Uh, it's well. See, that's the last couple. Like I said in a post recently, I said the first week I was freaked out that everybody was challenging everything that was going on, and then the second mm-hmm. week I was laughing hysterically because I thought there's no way that these people can get away with this and people believe it. And then I see a poll last uh, the other day that 47 percent of the people in the country believe that the uh, Democrats stole the election, and then it just put me into a complete I don't you know. I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> I can't. I can't handle that thought process. That there's that many people who are just so devoid of seeing reality. And I got into it with another. Uh, I'll talk about that later. I don't want to get into that on this podcast. I just got a message from Brian Nichols. <clears throat> Josh Smith gave you an amazing shout out on my episode today, and I, and I wrote back like the Joshua Smith. <laughs> Uh, so I'm, I'm interested to see if he meant that Joshua Smith, but, uh, you know, here's the thing with, with like when Josh is right, I'll say Josh, Joshua Smith is right. Like when Joshua talked about therapy, for instance, and getting help, like I publicly echoed that and said, I'm all for it. Like, because I think like when it's not, it's not enough. We must not just be disagreeable. We must also be anti-disagreeable. Uh, I think like when somebody does, you know some good stuff you got to say it like you know and like when somebody uh i know dave smith and i had talked on his episode and we'd had disagreements but like somebody called him a chomo the other day and i'm like why is that that guy i'm all i'm you know we can fight amongst ourselves but who the fuck do you think you are to talk shit about my fellow libertarian podcasters you know what i mean like there's got to be some camaraderie somewhere at some point um but uh, if he did, if it is that Joshua Smith, then I thank him publicly, and, and I really appreciate that. And I, I have definitely seen Joshua over the last, like, year growing and changing and being different than he was in the past. And, like, yeah. when he does that— Especially after one of the his, therapy. 
as one of one of his I've more noticed vo- a big change. Yes, as one of his more vocal critics early on, I feel it's my responsibility to say, yeah, Reinhold's blocked by him, like. That that dude's changing for the better, and we all should support that. And that's just the way it's got to be, you know. Like, mm-hmm. got to support each other. All right, everybody, thank you so much for joining us here on this episode of We Are Libertarians. Um, we will have episodes through December. We may have one more live show uh, on Saturday mornings before the end of the year. Uh, I typically try to take a lot of December off, and I just have to level with you guys. I am very, very, very tired and mentally drained. Um, I've been going to college, taking two classes. Uh, I've been writing Liberty Explained episodes. I've been doing this show. I've been writing a newsletter. I've been working my full-time job. I've got a girlfriend. I've got uh, the pat-down, trying to start a podcast consulting business. Like, I'm just, I'm very tired. And so uh, I'm going to record some stuff and do some uh, recorded things through uh, December. so I appreciate uh, that, but just to let you know, if you are a live watcher, then uh, that is going to take place. Brian's typing. I want to see what Brian says before we go. Yes, yes. The Joshua Smith, like a sincere, genuine shout-out. Well, thank you. Thank you, Joshua. That means a lot. Um, listen, I am, uh, I am not anti-Mises Caucus. I am not anti-Mises Institute. I am I am. Uh, there are certain people that do things that I don't like and that I don't think are helpful, and uh, there is also a, a, a personal style that I don't think is very helpful or effective. Um, but like the Mises Caucus did good work for candidates, and they did good stuff through this year. And uh, Joshua Smith has been, you know, growing and has stuck around and been uh, has brought a lot of people in, you know, and like. So we can have our disagreements about certain things, but uh, so I appreciate him uh, saying nice things about me, and I return those to him. So, thank you so much for watching here on We Are Libertarians, and we truly appreciate it. Um, Darla says I'm anti David Bowes. Well, I'm not surprised. I'm pro David <laughs> Bowes, but I like you nonetheless, Darla, and we can still be friends. All right, everybody, thank you so much for being a part of this show, and we will see you next week. <laughs>